You're listening to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie, Rupert, and Piccolo, bringing class to trash since 1977. to another episode of the GGTMC. This is episode 90. I am Rick Martell. Across the border from me is Tom Zink and Tito Santana. Arriba! <laughs> <laughs> that makes you Zink, uh, uh, <laughs> Sorry, I swiped that from you. <laughs> That's all good. That's all good. <clears throat> nice. Good morning. But Or afternoon or evening or night, whatever time of day uh, it is for you. Um, as we said, this is episode 90. Uh, we got two great films from... Uh, I think a decade that most of most of us recall fondly from our youth, um, that being the '80s, of course. And uh, from Roop, we have Cloak and Dagger, which uh, is from 1984, directed by Richard Franklin. And from The Loaf, we got Tango and Cash from 1989, directed by Andre uh, Konchal. I guess I should have pronounced this off the air first. Uh, Konchalovsky. Close enough. Uh, close enough. We'll go with it. Um, so yeah, we got two interesting films. Um, First and foremost, why don't we go over what we've been watching? I think uh, I'll start this week since the last two weeks uh, I've deferred to you guys. Go for it. Let me get the the infamous ice cream book here. <laughs> Although I may have said it on the air before, this isn't an ice cream book anymore. I transferred it, which was a lengthier <laughs> process than I would have thought, by hand to a new, new book that was Sans Ice Cream. So. <laughs> you got to get on the interwebs, man. Oh, I know. Well, I do. I do. I do it on Facebook too, right? So this this is just more of a, you know, tangible kind of tactile thing. It's I don't know. I like both, you know. But uh, it's like one of those uh, those composition notebooks. Anyway, <laughs> um, I had a pretty good week this week. I would have probably squeezed in a few more, but I just I wanted more sleep than <laughs> you know. Uh, I watched, uh, or I should say rewatched to a degree, 24-Hour Party People, the Winterbottom film, um, mm-hmm. with Steve Coogan. I'd seen probably the first two-thirds of it before, um, but I'd never finished it. And I watched it, uh, you know, the full thing, and I really was impressed with it, because I think it's it's a tricky film to pull off. It chronicles the uh, the 80s, right into the 90s, uh, music scene in Manchester. Um, and I think it's weird, because it's almost like first person like he they break the fourth wall there's sort of like documentary style other times it's more conventional in terms of a film it's it really well done and really tricky to pull off a film like that but they do quite a good job um i watched a french film called chao pantin uh which is really cool it's it's kind of like a kind of like a noiry film uh about a burned out cop who becomes a gas station attendant and befriends uh, a young um, drug runner, and uh, it basically becomes a revenge film 
because of some events that transpire. But uh, really good stuff. Uh, I really, really enjoyed that one. I, I think I'd like to see more. Uh, I, there's a lot of good French stuff I haven't seen from the 70s and 80s, particularly with Gerard Depardieu, that, that's kind of uh, cop stuff and just moodier stuff that they put out that uh, I'm interested in getting into that I've, you know, I've, I've got them. I just uh, got to watch them. Um, my wife's pick since she watched a lot of ridiculous shit with me this week. So I watched <laughs> the invention of lying. Um, what do you think of that? I, I thought it was very, very average. I thought there was a few parts I really laughed at. Like one part when, I don't know, he, someone says you can have any flavored ice cream you want. And she, and someone goes, Oh, I just thought of skunks with garbage in it or <laughs> a couple stupid lines. I mean, I like Ricky Gervais. He kind of elevates things for me anyway. Like if it had been, Hugh Grant or some other asshole, I would have really hated it, but <laughs> Gervais, you know, kind of puts it on his back for me and carries it a little bit, but really an average effort, I have to say. Yeah. Um, did you see Did you see Ghost Town, by the way? Was yeah, I, I, I did. I like Ghost Town a lot more than this, but not to, yeah, say, I did I, too. Not to say I loved it, but I'd give at least, you know, I'd give this one like a 5 or 5.25 and Ghost Town maybe like a 6.5. Yeah, I'm probably with you. I'm gonna, <clears throat> I might have liked Ghost Town just a little bit more because my expectations were super low. Yep. And it surprised me. But, yeah, I, I thought it was way better than uh, Invention Lying, which is too bad because I think that's Gervais's baby. Like, I think he wrote and directed it, if, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. And it's a shame because he's so funny. It just, you know. He is. I don't know. I don't know what happened. It became a very average film. But, you know, that's the way it goes. It's, it's yeah. you know. Um, I watched the last film Fernando DeLeo ever made, uh, Killer vs. Killers. Um, it's a very average film. You can tell the money wasn't there. But we get to see Henry Silva kill multiple people with a bazooka nice. and, and his house doubles as a zoo for exotic animals so <laughs> oh. the last set piece is pretty wild because you can see there's one part where in between blowing guys up with this bazooka he sicks this like wild falcon on a guy's face um, he, has oh, a, dude. he has a pet cheetah on like this this awesome collar that he just unleashes on a guy Dude, you're really selling this for an average movie. It's sounding pretty good. But the thing is, DeLeo made films with such style in the 70s, and this one feels kind of a bit tacky. Not tacky, just a bit, I don't know. It, it's not the quality I expect from DeLeo, but it does get pretty fun in the last third, to be fair. So All right. you, know, you can do worse, but it, it's you know, it, it's not it's no Milano Calibro 9 or anything. Or uh, Manhunt. But, you know, still worth seeing, definitely. Um I watched a film that I think Shiftless on the boards had recommended. It was called Jack Be Nimble. It was from New Zealand, uh, I think, in the early 90s. It's, it's a, it plays a bit like a dark fairy tale. It's got um, Alexis Arquette, pre, pre-op, I guess you would say, uh, playing, uh, you know, playing, you know, just straightforward uh, boy or man, whatever you want to say. Um, it's a pretty cool little film. I think this director really has an eye for... For visuals, um, Alexis Arquette is surprisingly competent in it. The female lead in it's pretty competent. I, I would recommend people check it out. It's a shame this thing hasn't been put on DVD. It, it looks like it was made in 1973 because the the copy I saw that was pretty washed out. But good little film. Um, That's cool. Shiftless really has good taste, man. I gotta check that out. I, I've never heard of that film. Yeah, he's he's got really good taste in film. I find you know a lot of times I'll scribble down stuff uh, that he's checked out. Um, then I watched In God Said to Cain, which thankfully was not the Kinski Spaghetti Western that, that Dom watched. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, this one's directed by Antonio Margaretti. Not bad. It's, it, it, you know, the revenge starts 30 minutes in. It's got supernatural elements. Worth a watch. Um, this month, I'm educating myself in Federico Fellini because there's a lot of holes uh, for me in his filmography. I mean, I haven't seen anything except Eight and a Half, uh, so it was time to rectify that. So this weekend, I watched La Dolce Vita. 
which uh, I really loved. I don't think it's as good as Eight and a Half, but the more I think about it, the more I like it. Um, I think um, Master Oyani is just an incredibly good actor. Uh, and then I watched uh, Amarcord, which you know was the first color film I've seen of his. Again, very good. Um, not as good as either of the other two, but I mean that's really, I mean come on, the other two are, are you know astounding works. Um, sandwiched in between those, I watched a film that that's probably not quite on par with those, but entertaining in its own right, and that's uh, Rock and Roll Wolf, which <laughs> which, uh, which is if I guess if if ABBA and the Soviet Union and acid and fairy tales and disco and ice skating had a child <laughs> in the seventies. In the seventies, it would be this film. Um, it's just, Bri, you got us. It's just a bizarre, bizarre kids movie. Those I've ice- seen part of it. Rick, Rick re- recommended it, and I think Miles was the first one to talk about it. Yeah. And and I was just like, wow, okay. Oh it's, yeah, that's, it's absolutely fucking it. Like there's this the song in it, and it, it goes, uh, "Mommy's here, so you can open the door." And it's the song she sings, so the kids will let her into the house. And, what the fuck? And the wolf's trying to spy on her, so he can like mimic the song, and he starts trying to sing it. It just, it's so ridiculous, man. It, I watched it like when I come home from working, like a fourteen-hour shift, because it was that kind of movie. Just, I was already so tired that it just added to the insanity. Um, but moving along, I just watched one more film this week. I watched Rancho Deluxe, which I've been meaning to see for a while. Uh, again, yes. you know, I was aware of this film for a long time, but I just, I kept seeing it pop up in uh, Shiftless's signature um, yeah. <clears throat> on our board. So, I love you know, that signature. Yeah, it's a good signature. Uh, Jeff Bridges, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think he did a lot of super cool films in the 70s that most people outside of film enthusiasts have, have not seen. Yeah. You know, stuff like uh, Fat City and, I mean, just so many films he did that, that no one really watches other than really serious film buffs. And it's a shame because he, his body work in the 70s is really, really good. But um, that's what did I've you watched. See, I'm sorry, have you ever seen Last American Hero? Oh, yeah, I love Last American Hero. It's another Actually, great I watched justice. it. I really like Last American Hero. He plays NASCAR driver um, uh, Junior something. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Junior Johnson, but I love that stuff. Yeah, he's yeah. running moonshine. It's it's a really good movie. Yeah. So from the director of uh, Lipstick, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I didn't even Which I... put two and two together. I'm sorry, I picked up Lipstick this week because you had talked about it the other week. So it, it it's not an amazing film, but it, it is no. interesting. Is uh, sure. is Last American Hero kind of a a biopic? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Junior Johnson's yeah. from my neck of the woods. Yeah, that's right. He's from North Carolina, and it, yeah. and it has him running moonshine. <laughs> the, you know, and and there's it's, it's it looks really nice because it's it takes place in the fall a lot of the movie. So you see like him through the the forests. Of, I was gonna say the jungles, the forests of North Carolina with a lot of leaves and stuff. It's it's worth looking into, man. It's it's a good movie. The Wait, well, I'm sorry to to go back. Did you like Rancho? What did you think of it? Oh, I really liked it. Um, I think you know, like a lot of '70s films, I was saying Alex off the air. It it's in no hurry to get anywhere. It doesn't need to kind of be, um, you know, that's that arc that we, we've become so accustomed to with films. And, and I like that. That's the thing I like about the seventies films is they almost seem maybe too simple on the surface, but it, they're, they're just kind of stripped down and, and they're just, um, very uh, laid back, uh, you know, in terms of what they are. And, and I really liked it though, man. I mean, Harry Dean Stanton's in it. Clifton uh, James. Clifton James, Slim Pickens. Yep. 
Um, it's just it's a it's a great little film. Um, I have to say because it it takes place the backdrop is Montana and it's it's two guys uh, hurting you know hurting animals. I couldn't help but think at times of of Brokeback Mountain because of the backdrop. <laughs> you know nothing similar, nothing just, similar of course, but cowboys in Montana. Yeah. Uh, you know, couldn't help but think of it. But yeah. Cool. So, which one of you guys uh, wants to roll with it here while I sip some coffee? Go ahead, Rube. Okay. Um, <clears throat> let's see here. I um, I started off the week with a bang with uh, Ace Ventura Jr. <laughs> 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 Which I think Miles and Emily had, had mentioned on Twitter. I think Emily was the first to wow. mention it. She had said that Miles mentioned it. And it's really bad, not surprisingly. It's it's terrible. Oh. Um, and then I watched um, Burt Reynolds in uh, Malone, which I'd oh. never seen. Which is okay. It wasn't yeah. too bad. Pretty good. Um, and then I've been watching a lot of stuff off the DVR, <laughs> off of like HD networks and stuff. Uh, Cadillac Man was on um, some network. I can't remember. But we watched that with my wife. And that's pretty good. You know, like Ron Williams is um, relatively not too annoying in it and there's some funny stuff in it i remember like there's a bit where tim robbins you know he, his character obviously busts into this dealership with what is supposed to be an explosive device um taking everybody hostage and whatnot and the cops are asking him like where did you get this explosives and he's like and they because they don't believe him and he's like i, I got it in jersey and then the, the cops just like back off they're like oh okay well I guess, you know, I just it was just an odd joke. I was like, okay, I guess <laughs> Jersey's got that kind of reputation. But um, anyway, so um, showed my son Batman Returns, um, which we had gotten off HD, and which I thought was much better than I remembered. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and I like it better than the first Batman. It gets a little silly in the back, but um, there's a lot of cool, dark, weird stuff in it. Which one was um, Returns? It was, who was the villain in it? Um, it was Danny, yeah, Danny DeVito as the Penguin. Yeah, that one was pretty good, I thought. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, it's written by um, Daniel um, Waters, was was one of the credit screenwriters who did Heathers and oh, nice. Demolition Man and Hudson Hawk and stuff. Um, I After our De- uh, Deadly Eyes encounter with Lisa Langlois, I tracked down uh, Joy of Sex. <laughs> nice. um, and, uh, and it's, you know, it's for, for the title, it's really more just a, an 80s sex comedy, um, you know, a la... Like Porky's or, you know, right. that, that kind of thing. But it's got it's got Cameron Dye from Valley. It's directed by Martha Coolidge, who I like a lot because she did uh, Real Genius and Valley Girl. And um, it's got uh, Cameron Dye, who is in Valley Girl. And then the chick from, what's her name? From Real Genius, she plays um, Jordan. And she's in, oh, man. This chick retired from acting and she, like, is a Buddhist now or something. Um, anyway, um then after that, uh, watched Office Space, which I hadn't watched in a while, um, and and that holds up. I'm a big fan of that movie. Yeah, it uh, is a really. It's, it's probably the only role I don't hate Jennifer Aniston in. Yeah, she's she's really she's pretty good in that. Um, she was good in, in then, The Good Girl. Yeah, oh I yeah, agree. yeah. No, I agree. She was she played a grocery clerk in that, didn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, she was good in that. To be fair, but I fucking yeah. hate her, man. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah, she's she's not. I'm not a huge fan. Um, Michelle Mayrink was the name of the, the girl I was thinking of from Joe of Sex, um, who was also in Valley Girl. Uh, so then uh, after that, I showed my son uh, King of Comedy, which, you know, uh, I, I'm not sure <clears throat> he's exactly ready. I mean, it's a PG-rated film. There's nothing too crazy in it, but 
it's an odd film because Rupert Popkin's obviously kind of an unhinged character, and I think it's hard for my son to get used to. You know, I try. I tried to explain to him at the beginning. I'm like, you know how movies usually you have like a hero that you aspire to. And I'm like, some movies have a character that you, you know, like that may not be exactly something you'd aspire to, but he's still interesting in some other way. But you know, we all kind of agree that the movie's a little bit sad, and you know, I don't know. But I was glad my son watched it, and you know didn't fall asleep so that's that's a that's a victory and shamefully i've never seen king of comedy man oh dude you gotta check it out yeah no i've I've been meaning to i think we were gonna maybe do it on the show or i know yeah i'd love to i I just fuck i just you know it's one of those things just i've never gotten around to it uh i'd love to i'd love to be on that show too when you when and if you guys ever did that when and if Uh, we do you'll be there for sure i promise um, after that, uh, Rec 2 was on one of the HD channels, and uh, my wife caught it, and I caught up with that, and that was pretty good. I actually kind of liked it better than the first one. I know that's not the traditional. Uh, I mean, there's things I liked better about it than the first one. I guess because it's a sequel and it can jump right into the action right away, yeah. I kind of like that. Um, but you know, the, 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 there's some religious aspect to it. Not to go too much into it, but it is is and isn't interesting you know we had a good time with it i'll say that though um and then that night was really cool they played breaking away uh at one of the revival theaters in santa monica and um paul dooley was there and i got a picture with him and i was really excited about that um but breaking away is a movie i love and seeing it with a crowd was just phenomenal because it plays so well with the crowd and you know especially the ending um i don't have you guys seen breaking away just out of curiosity no i have not no okay I, I think you, you guys would both really like it. It's, it's just a great the, – the screenplay won the Academy Award in 79, and it's just – Paul Dooley is phenomenal. He's so good in it. You guys would totally love it. Um, so then the next day, inexplicably, I uh, DVR'd Ghost Dad, um, <laughs> the Cosby movie, and uh, watched the whole thing. I don't know why. It was – for some reason, I had called into Show Show at one point about how pissed off I was that Leonard Part 6 was in the bottom 100, but Ghost Dad wasn't. Um, because I remembered Ghost Dad, Ghost Dad being really terrible, but it wasn't that bad. It was, it was whatever. It was fine. Uh, so it makes sense that it's not in the bottom 100, but it was weird that I recorded it. Um, also uh, recorded and watched Cutter's Way with nice. Jeff Bridges and uh, John Hurd. And my wife and I, I love that movie, and my wife really dug it a lot too. So that was really neat. We were talking about it the other day. That's a movie I'd recommend to anybody that hasn't seen it it's not 70s jeff bridges it's like 81 but it feels like that 70s jeff bridges stuff we're talking about that, that's absolutely and and it's a shame after you see that and there was one other film even something like judd it's a shame her didn't do more dramatically because he's fantastic it almost felt like a like a heath ledger type role oh, yeah. uh, in uh breaking uh in cutter's way like fuck he's he was a better actor than he ever really um than than his his resume would would uh would would say you know what i mean i i totally agree there's another one of his films that i love and that is um chili scenes of winter mm. and he is just he nails that role and, and both chili scenes and cutter's way he's portraying characters that are somewhat nihilistic and and maybe difficult to sympathize with for some of the things they do but he brings this this uh, this compa- i don't know this this ability for you to be compassionate about the characters that he's portraying, that's just remarkable. And that's great acting. And yeah, it is really too bad that he's now been relegated to like dad roles. Dad, yeah. 
Yeah. It's you know he's he is a phenomenal actor and he, totally underrated as far as I'm concerned. He wasn't in uh, in it for long, but um, he I like I really liked his character in Sopranos. Oh, oh like, yeah, yeah. Drunk. He was like this drunk detective that that yeah. Tony kind of like got his other side information from. Oh, dude, I gotta see that stuff. I haven't seen that. And he was also Jack Kerouac in the movie Heartbeat, which I think has Nick Nolte in it. Uh, and then he was there's a there's a movie that you guys might like for the show will called on the yard have you ever heard of this no I haven't it's I think it's a prison movie with um it's a prison drama with John Hurd in the lead um, oh wow might be something for the show I don't oh, know yeah. I have to look that up right now as we speak um and so then uh, speaking of stuff for the show I watched uh, a movie called Mad Foxes which um <laughs> uh somebody on Twitter had recommended I I, I can't remember off the top of my head right now but it's it's pretty nuts it's like a sleaze festival i mean it's just it it would have been a great i, I think i was telling you guys it would have been a great double with intrepidos punks um i mean just sort of a back and forth with this gang that starts messing with this guy and he messes with him back and it just kind of escalates um but very sleazy um <laughs> pretty crazy stuff i think it'd be a great ggtmc pick at some point um and um, one thing that I wanted to mention at the end here is I watched part of one of my favorite movies into the 70s disaster cycle, and that's Roller Coaster, and that's on um, <laughs> Netflix Instant. It's on Netflix Instant right now, so everybody should go and check that out on Netflix Instant because it's there, and I don't know how long it'll be there, and it's a lot of fun. So that's it for me. I wrote that down. I, I just want to say we are going to cover Mad Foxes. It's been on my radar for a very, very long time. Yeah, I figured. Um, and whenever I think of, you know what, Rup, whenever I think of disaster movies now, specifically Roller Coaster, I think of you, man. <laughs> you just, you, uh, you, you like adore them, like, like just do, so man. much. So it's, they, uh, they come up a lot in the interviews. That's stuff. okay, man. That's good, though. <clears throat> All right. What you got, Alex? Um, well, I, um, I guess as my, my trend has been for the past, uh, <laughs> past few weeks, I did qu- I did get a bit in, but, uh, the trend more was to watch a, um, two thousands or so, uh, independent movie on the Tuesday after we record. I don't know why that is, but I watched uh, romance and cigarettes last Tuesday. Um, the John Turturro kind of musical, which was really bizarre. I, I, I like, I liked it. I mean, I don't know if everybody would though. It's, it's fun seeing, Kate Winslet's tits bounce around like crazy in the movie, though. She's not afraid to, to take her top. She does, she takes her top up all, all, for a lot for an A-list Oscar-winning actress. Well, she she doesn't get completely topless in the movie. It's a red bra, but she's not afraid to uh, jump around quite a bit. So, um, and I love her as an actress because I remember someone said to her like uh, something about her weight, and she basically said "fuck off." Like you know, I'm a woman, and this is what a woman looks like. And I love that she. She took that stance, and she has the skill that that people can't strong arm her, strong arm her to lose weight. Because I think it's you know a lot of actresses. You look at the men, like they look disgusting, like they look like like mummies or something. And you know, I just love that she she did that as an aside. Yeah, and she was, I mean, she was good in the movie. She played like the, she was, uh, I think she was playing Irish in the movie, but then uh, she was kind of the the town slut, and uh, but she was good. <laughs> and then uh, and Christopher Walken, I have to say, is the bizarre fucking like this cousin of, of Susan Sarandon and wow he's a strange one in the movie so <laughs> um I watched uh, or finished The Searchers I had not seen that before nice. I, I picked up that DVD cool. cheap a few weeks ago so um I, I liked it a lot the, the end actually choked me up a little bit even though I kind of saw it coming um that's cool 
I watched Alligator. Uh, nice. That one's one I had not seen since I was a kid, and it and it's better than it has any right to be. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, Robert Forster is great in it, and um, and I was surprised that I mean Robin Riker's a little stiff, but she uh, only really ever did soap operas besides this. She was kind of a looker, so. Um, it's funny. I have a I have a friend that said um, when I said when I posted that I was watching this on Facebook, a friend of mine for a long time, and uh, she said after she saw this when she was a kid, it was it took her like over a year to not sit on the edge of the toilet because she's afraid an alligator was going to come up. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. I watched uh, The Good Night, a Jake Paltrow movie, Gwyneth Paltrow's brother. Um, mm. I don't know if you guys have seen that. It's it's a a guy that basically is, he's in this like boring I guess relationship with this with Gwyneth Paltrow who plays a real frumpy nag in the movie, and um, <laughs> he dreams every night about Penelope Cruz like just randomly and um, wants to figure out how to control his dreams. So he goes to this like dream group that Danny Danny DeVito leads up and who kind of teaches him how to dream what he wants to dream and win it. And, and it was interesting. It wasn't great, but I liked it. It was, um, had a, yeah, it was kind of dark. It was good. Um, I watched, uh, after we talked about, uh, after we talked about it a little, um, I guess off the air, the, uh, the last American Virgin. Um, I was, I'm really surprised I had not seen this one before. Um, I love that era and I could see, I could see kind of why this one didn't get like, pushed as much as the other ones. Um, the, the, the soundtrack was weird. Like they kept repeating songs. Like I, th- I was like, um, there was some, yeah, that songs is a little that, bit of an annoying trend. Sorry. Yeah. It, it, there was some songs that played like four times, but, um, no, I mean, I thought it was solid. I, the end was, a, I don't know. <laughs> I like the ending. I was just going to say without giving anything away, I really think that ending is interesting. It's, yeah, it was. it's not like too many other films of that era. It was it was it was a surprising ending, definitely. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I felt I felt like it was a little unfair. <laughs> Which <laughs> no, I guess, I'll give you that. I guess life is that. unfair though. So. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, which uh, my wife and I checked out Daybreakers. Um. I thought it was pretty good. I liked. It was very gory, and you know, it was a good story. I th- I, we had fun. Both of us liked it. Um. I watched uh, Ricky O, the story of Ricky, which I hadn't seen in years, which. I still got to see that. I was it's saying so it right good. Now. Also gory in a different way. <laughs> well, maybe not in a different way. I don't know. Um, this is a little more cartoon. Uh, it's based on a, a manga, which I've started reading, and I've read it since I'd seen the movie last, and it was interesting. Like, I actually remember, like, they must stick pretty close to it because the whole, like, there's a scene in the beginning with the tra- wooden train and the bathroom and stuff, and that's all in the book. So um, we went and saw Toy Story 3 which was really, really good. Um, yeah, I was going to say, that's the best one, don't you think? I, I, you know what? It's like it's weird. I, I, I'm having trouble remembering the other, especially the first one. I, haven't, I don't even know if I've seen them since. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of the first one, i got to say. I feel like it's way overly sentimental. And some would argue that this one is pretty sentimental, but I just feel like the first one, just the, there's a lot of annoying stuff about it for me that I just, I'm not as big a fan and it's bizarre that I don't remember it because there was a summer when I worked at a student union and um, 
one of the one of the other employees had a, a daughter that she would leave with leave in the office when she went to class, like sometimes with a couple of us. And this little girl always wanted to watch Toy Story, and we so we were, had this on like every day. And so it's weird <laughs> that I don't really remember it. She would always ask for it. She couldn't talk yet. She would ask for it by saying "eha," like like <laughs> what says "yeeha." So. Um, uh, we went, we went to a friend's house and watched dead snow. Um, I can, I could see where there might be problems with it, but it definitely plays well to a group of people. Um, it was cool. Oh, hell yeah. Several people like, you know, all of us yelling out at the same time. And that was pretty fun. Um, yeah, I like that movie. I watched don't torture a duckling. Uh, nice. Uh, very solid. Uh, kind of disappointed. Milian wasn't a little more out of control, but, other than that, oh, and Barbara Boucher was definitely, definitely hot in that movie. She looks hotter in that than maybe any other film, but I think for me, the highlight of that film is Florinda Balkin. Like, she's fantastic in that film. Which one was she? She was the one um, that uh, a lot of the, the townsfolk um, lashed out at. Okay. She had the, the, the jet black hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. She's really good, man. But yeah, that was a really good one. Um, I watched uh, Godzilla vs. Mothra, which is nice. which is solid. I, I I've been trying to watch the Godzilla movies in order, and I accidentally watched um, um, uh, Ghidra before this one, and I could the Ghidra didn't. There were some parts in Ghidra that didn't really make sense because Mothra kind of comes and saves the day, and they talk about some stuff that happened in this movie. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, I liked it. I mean, I'm, I'm a Godzilla fan. I mean, if you don't like those, you probably wouldn't enjoy it, but it, it wasn't, Godzilla wasn't getting campy at this point yet either. It definitely started in Ghidra. So, um, and then, um, I finished up finally la- late last night and I was talking to Will about this one with a movie called Itara El Guardian de la Muerte, which is a Mexican, <laughs> Mexican Kung Fu movie. Um, and I watched it without subtitles. <laughs> wow. Uh, I, I was more or less able to keep up with the story, but it wasn't great. Um, our, our girl, Princess Leia, was billed even in the intro credits, but was on, unfortunately only in it for like three minutes. Um, eh, it wasn't. I mean, some of the some of the fighting stuff was kind of funny, but and you know, seeing Mexican guys dress up like they were Chinese, and it was bizarre. It was set in modern day too, which was strange because there was a ancient Buddhist temple and all this stuff in it too, but wasn't great. So, anyway, that was it for me. That's cool, man. Okay, so there's a lot of films watched, uh, a lot of good stuff in there. Um, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to come back with some Dabney Coleman. <laughs> so All right. We will be right back after this short break. Hey, I didn't see you there. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, you're obviously a man or woman of great distinguished taste. You obviously like informed opinion, entertaining chat, all that other kind of bullshit that you want in your ears. Well here's some more for you. Why not take a chance on Cinerama? Because with Cinerama, you'll never, ever, ever, ever lose. Packed with news, reviews, movie monkey madness marathons and other assorted paraphernalia of awesomeness listening to Cinerama is statistically proven to make your life at least 6.5% better it might not sound like a lot 
but after you try it, you'll see the difference. The Cinerama difference. You can find Cinerama on iTunes or at cinerama.podomatic.com. Stay classy, you lovely fuckers. We are back, uh, and that track you just heard coming back into the show here was the Funky 16 pick of the week, uh, that of course being Freddie Scott and the Four Steps, same old beat. Um, I was saying to Loaf off the air, that sounded a lot to me like um, uh, Larry Williams, uh, of course, he of Johnny Guitar Watson, two for the price of one fame from this show. <laughs> so, good little track, as always, Larry comes correct. <laughs> I really got to uh, really get on this blog. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's yeah I was saying the same thing. It's just nothing but winners. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it really is fantastic. Um, I'm gonna, I'll send you guys a picture of uh, Freddie Scott and the, uh, and the uh, four steps, and they might have the greatest outfits in the history of uh, music. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I'll, I'll do that as I go here. So this film, uh, of course, was picked by Roop. Uh, it's one that I think a lot of us have... Uh, very strong nostalgic connection to uh, that being Cloak and Dagger, the Richard Franklin Franklin film from 1982. Um, so let's uh, let's get into it. Uh, do you want to synopsize it, Brian? Absolutely. Um, just grabbing uh, the synopsis off IMDb right now. Um, all right. So uh, well, this is one of those where it continues to the next page. I'm afraid to continue because I'm going to get this <laughs> shitty synopsis. But it says, 11-year-old Davey, whose mother uh, is dead and whose father doesn't spend... What? Why, why do they have to do that? That's such a... I mean, the gist of it is uh, a little boy um, witnesses a murder, and, um, and then he has a lot of trouble convincing uh, the adults in his life that uh, it really happened. Uh and uh, there's some international intrigue, some Cold War era dynamics and whatnot. Um, but I, I think most people are familiar with the story of this, and if they're not, I, I just feel like they should watch it. Um, so that's, I mean, that's, I think that's pretty much it for the uh, synopsis. Okay, Loaf, uh, did you want to uh, before? Sorry, was there anything else you wanted to add, right before we get Loaf? Uh, talking? No, no, I'll, I'll go. I've got my notes. I'll go, I'll go into it whenever. Okay. okay. Uh, well, um, yeah, I can start. Um, this was, uh, I mean, for me, it was one of my childhood fav- favorites. Um, you know, I, n- I never saw it in a theater. We didn't really go to the movies all that much, and we didn't have cable growing up. So the only thing I could figure out is it must have been on broadcast television a lot, because um, I know I'd seen it multiple times. There is a chance, I guess, my grandmother did have cable for whatever bizarre reason, and she would record random things off HBO <laughs> and give us the tapes, and which we would then 
wear out. Um, so it could have come from there. But uh, you know, once once cable hit our area in the late '80s, I moved on to Emmanuel and the Skinamax stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm pretty sure this movie started my lifetime adoration of Dabney Coleman. Um, and I, I st- I, you know, I still like going back. I, I did it recently. I, going back and seeing his films from time to time. Uh, he had that movie Short Time with, from the, I guess it was early 90s. Yeah, 1990, I think. That was a, that was that a was, one. Dude, I was going to say, that was literally just on either one of the HBO HD networks or HDNet. I re- literally recorded that two nights ago. Or cool. It's, or two ago. it's still fun. I mean, there, there, there's some parts that drag, but it's still fun. I, I, I still remember laughing quite a bit. I mean, and I laughed the last time I watched it, too. Um, you know, I, I, I think I even liked... Uh, Dabney Coleman's uh, Drexel's class on Fox. <laughs> oh yes, yes, I did too. <laughs> oh, I, n- I never saw that. Did you guys ever see Buffalo Bill, his his TV show? No. From no. the early '80s, he plays like a really brash. I think it's like a news anchor. No, I'm gonna mess that up. Um, but he's really funny in it. Just like kind of out of control, like sort of a sexist. Like he's 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 very funny. Sounds uh, like I a think good it was role a, for him. It was <laughs> great. Anyway, sorry. You're fine. Um, I said, uh, what was I saying? Oh, right. The, um, you know, so much, I think, entertainment-wise at least, of what I enjoy now, it's so much of it is still steeped in nostalgia. And it's like, and there's so much in this movie that, like, kind of transports me back to that time. I mean, again, regardless even of the, the quality of the movie, it's just like little things in it, like, the sounds of the video game cartridges being put into the thing. It's like I can I can still yeah. remember sitting in front of the Zenith downstairs watching stuff like this. Um, you know, I, I really liked in the movie seeing uh, Henry Thomas play with his toys. He, he does it more at the beginning, but the little sound effects and stuff he makes. Um, That's so funny you mentioned that, dude. I, 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 meant, I made a note of that exact same thing. Like, yeah. I remember being obsessed with making cool gun sounds when I was a kid. <laughs> Explosions. Oh. Yeah, and I think that's something that uh, sadly, uh, you know, is lost now because children so often nowadays jump to video games the moment they're able to to do so that, you know, the playing with G.I. Joes and stuff is gone. Like I used to use, when you guys get strawberries, do they come in those green plastic little crates at all or no? Usually it's Not clear, clear but plastic. They used to. But you, you know the ones that used to be there, you, like a pint, you would get yeah, them yeah. in like the green. I would use those as jail cells for my G.I. Joes. Yeah. <laughs> You know, just like little things like that that I think it, it, it's it's a shame that, you know, that, that sense of imagination has gone with, with a lot of children now because they they get herded into video games at such a young age. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, I was herded into video games at a young age, too, but I still... Uh, yeah, same here. Yeah, I mean, I, I still had, you know, I still had the other stuff, too. I mean, it, it, I, like, I even liked how Henry Thomas was play, like, doing his sound effects while he was playing the game while his dad's standing there watching him, so... Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, I, I, a, I know this is a little sappy, but the father-son moments in the in the film still kind of get to me. Oh, me too. I don't. No, I don't seriously, I, I, I don't know that. Me. Yeah, I don't know that they did as when I was a kid. Um, mm-hmm. But looking at it now, I mean, you know, I'm looking at it from a different perspective now. So, you know, I still get choked up at the stuff, even if it is kind of corny. Um, no, no, I totally agree with you, man. And it's funny as I was watching it, you know, I remember as a I remember as a kid not really understanding the difference in the movie it, between this this game Dabney and the real Dabney. <laughs> like 
I don't think I knew that Cloak and Dagger was a real actual video game. Um, but like what was, com- I remember what was confusing is the little guy that they show between levels in the video game and the movie kind of looked like Dabney Coleman to me with his little mustache. <laughs> and so it's like, I never, I don't even know that I even like put two and two together. Like I thought maybe the, it was for the movie. I don't know. I, I, I just feel like I remember, you know, confusion with that. Um, let me ask, do you guys know, was there an actual Atari game cloak and dagger? Yes. Yeah. There I, was, and that was the game then. Yes. Yes. And there was an arcade version of it too. Yeah. yeah. Is it is it expensive? Like, is it pretty rare to get like the Atari game or the um, the um, the actual arcade game? The arcade game is really rare because it was a, a convert of uh, Crystal Castles cabinet, and I know some collectors that you'd have to strip down a Crystal Castles and make it into uh, a cloak and dagger. But that's like a real find for arcade collectors, and I've always wanted to see one. But the game, I'm pretty sure you can probably get relatively easily. You know, yeah. I mean, I don't. What's Loaf? Do you know what system that was? He was playing on was it a 7800? It was Atari 7800. I never had that system. I, a cloak and dagger is not Me something. I I played as a kid. Um, we had a we had a bootleg like Sears wood grain Atari 2600. <laughs> <laughs> um, the um, well, you can't. There is a there is a thing called Mame, which is kind of like a yeah. old, like you can play arcade games on your computer. Um, oh wow. And yeah, it's that, an arcade emulator. Yeah, yeah, that, and that's where I've played Cloak and Dagger. It's a pretty fun game. It's tough, so. Um, yeah. But I was surprised at how much the Atari version looked like the arcade version. They were almost identical. So. Um, I have a note about a sweatsuit, but I'll leave that for later. I know, I know some. <laughs> 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 um, you know, there, there's two scenes, and uh, will I guess I talked about it with both of you. There's two scenes in the movie that I vividly remember watching um, as a kid. Um, one of them, one of them is kind of a spoiler, isn't it? Or does it, are we not worried about that? I'm not going to say who. Okay. There's there's one where Henry Thomas is in a trunk with somebody. Oh yes, yes. Um, yeah. And that when I watch that scene, it's still like, I can still like feel the claustrophobia. Like I, I remember that scene kind of getting to me for some reason when I was a kid, like I feel just kind of cramped. And there's another scene with, um, a tight situation in a car. And, and I, you know, I've talked about, I've talked about this with both of you. The, there's an overwhelming like sensation of like smelling something pungent for me in that, um, I used to, I don't know onions or something, but I don't know what the smell was. But I, I just imagined the inside of this car just kind of having a very strong odor, and I still <laughs> I see it today. It's the same thing, you know. And if you see it, you'll, if when you guys see the movie, you'll probably laugh. But you guys, as but, listeners, but do you know how you made the the connection with onions and? Three fingers, or I have no idea. There's another. There's another similar thing with um, in. Uh, the original Clash of the Titans, when they go and see the three witches, and that hand comes out of the cauldron, mm-hmm. it makes me think of blue cheese salad dressing. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so who knows? Who knows what was going on in my head back then? So, um, Loaf, Loaf, real quick, just yeah. to go back to the trunk, the trunk scene. This is something I've I've seen this movie a lot, and I've always wondered about um, how there's something that's facilitated where Davy is sort of pinned 
against the back of the car and he gets some help. Um, and I've always kind of wondered how does that work well, based on what we know about the characters? How does he get that help? Well, that's what I was gonna—I was gonna bring up actually. That with there's some, there's some little, I guess, problems with the film. Um, the and one of them is that you know there's never a line drawn in the movie, uh, not a clear one anyway, of what's real and what isn't. Um, normally, I wouldn't really have an issue with this in a movie, but it seems like the, you know the underlying message in this kind of seems to be appreciating what you have. You know the imaginary. Uh, you know your imaginary world is fine, but you know having having your life based in reality is a good thing too. You know appreciating your dad over this fictional superhero and that sort of thing. So to have like a lot of questions unanswered seemed a little bizarre. And I and I realize it's made for kids, and these little plot holes are just left open. But you know, the I'm actually. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I cut you off. Go ahead. No, I was just going to. I was going to move on to another point, so you can. I, I was going to say I'm okay with the, the 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 plot holes or the the blurring of reality and fantasy because, like you said, it is a kids' movie, and I just kind of chalk it up to. It's almost like that. Like the, it, it it becomes more real than even it appears because of of him believing. Like yeah. it's You know that I just kind of chalk it up to that and. And move past it, you know. Yeah. Well, you know. I think you have. The other to. thing. Yeah, I agree with that, and it doesn't. To be honest, it doesn't bother me at all either. And and now that I'm thinking about it, the thing, the scene I'm talking about in the car, and then there's a scene later with Michael Murphy, um, yes. where I feel like there's a couple things that Jack Flack does, and it sort of allows Davy to do things that he doesn't think he's capable of doing. Yes. Um. And and so I feel like both in the car and in that scene of Michael with Michael Murphy, he does things he probably that and that he's not capable of and or he doesn't think he's capable of he helps himself in a certain way where he doesn't think he can so that it may not be i mean i may see the holes you're talking about alex but i may also be able to just like like will said like allow it to be as yeah. it is. but it's totally fair to critique it anyway move on sorry, no sorry. i can see that the um well i was gonna say you know like the the plot gets a little convoluted. I mean, I assume this movie was made for a younger audience and I don't know that I, I mean, obviously I guess I didn't cause I already mentioned it, but it seems like a younger kid might have trouble following some of the little twists that the movie makes. I don't know. Um, yeah, I can see that. And, and these kids in the movie, this is, this is just more of a comical point, but they, they get out and about way too easily. <laughs> uh, maybe that's just a, a sign of, times changing but the uh, you know these kids are out and late at night and you know they they're running around all day by themselves kind of unwatched in San Antonio so um, yeah i think there's certainly there's certainly an element of a different time in that and then there is something that's just like you know especially when they're out at night that's a little bit much but i think that there's a lot of stuff we and we can talk about it a little bit later but that is just of a different time as far as the way that these kids are parented um, versus now, right? You know, I mean, with this movie for me, I, I don't, I, I don't want to keep going on. I'm just going to keep just talking about what I remember of it. But you know, this is one I had not seen. I've watched it twice now in the past month, but this is one I haven't seen probably in more than twenty years. Um, you know, it's probably after, like I said, after cable hit, it's not something that was really on my radar anymore. But um, I still really liked it, and uh, you know. But it, you, I'll, I'll let you guys talk about it too. So, um, 
Rube, did you want to go? Yeah, me too. I'll go. Sure. Okay. Um, <clears throat> first off, it's directed by Richard Franklin, who I'm a huge, huge fan of. Um, he's, I think he's Australian. Yes, yeah, he is. He's born in Australia. Unfortunately, passed away about three years ago. Um, but you know, a big Hitchcock devotee or devotee, and uh, you know, I think we've talked about or Road Games has been mentioned on the show before, and that's a great um, sort of uh, rear window homage. And then this is sort of rear window-ish too. And in fact, it's got a connection to rear window in that it's based on a story called The Boy Who Cried Murder, which is written by Cornell Woolrich. And he also wrote the story that Rear Window is based on. Um, And then there was a movie called The Window, which came out in 1949, which is also based on The Boy Who Cried Murder, which I have uh, taped off Turner Classic Movies, but I haven't watched. But I've always meant to because of its connection to um, uh, Cloak and Dagger. Um, But yeah, Woolrich is really great. But yeah, Richard Franklin, I mean, he did uh, Patrick, and he did Psycho 2. Link. Link, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Which I have somewhere. Um, and I just looked, he, he did FX2, which is really interesting. I actually have that on my uh, DVR set to record this week. Uh, we watched the first FX with my son about you know a month or two ago. And um, Anyway, so I love Richard Franklin. I think he's great. I mean, there's a certain, he and De Palma, obviously both big fans of Hitchcock. And so I would sort yeah. of think of them together. Um, and, and, the, and the story was actually, the screenplay was done by Tom Holland, who did, directed Child's Play, among other things. And. Uh, I think he wrote Fright Night or directed Fright Night, too. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. But um, anyway, so, um, I, I you know, the, it's it's it feels very much like a Hitchcock movie with kids. You know, you've got the cloak and dagger tape, as they call it, which I think is kind of funny. They keep calling it instead of a cartridge, they call it a cloak yeah. and dagger tape. I always thought that was kind of funny. That's sort of the, the Hitchcockian MacGuffin of the story, and it drives the plot forward and whatnot. But, um, uh this was a, one of a few films that, like, we had, my family, had, we had taped off TV, like, this, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Camp on Me Love, Beverly Hills Cop, um, we had on tape off TV, and we just wore them out, and so I, I remember we would just have weird, like, my sister can quote weird parts of this movie, um, like, <laughs> you know, like, she, at some points, she'll do things, like, with a little girl, um, whose voice reminds me of Charlie Brown's sister, by the way. Oh, Sally. Which, yeah, I think so. Or, or like a slightly more feminine, like Linus sounding voice. There's definitely <laughs> Charlie Brown aspect to voice. Anyway, my sister would do quotes like "Hello, everybody," you know, like when she's talking into the walkie-talkie for the first time. Yes, it's totally an odd quote, like that nobody's gonna get unless you've seen Cloak and Dagger a hundred times. I have to finish um, my breakfast. exactly (laughs) that kind of stuff um but i love the opening of the movie i think it's really great um and and you know it sets up the jack flack character and um you know all the gadgets and i i I was just a huge role-playing game fan as a kid so this really appealed to me like i played uh dungeons and dragons a little bit and marvel superheroes and star frontiers um and and I even like got into trying to design my own role playing games. Like wow. I would make up little things for like I did one for Jaws, the Terminator, and for Ghostbusters. And I sort of <laughs> would try and draw out rules and like have little things where you'd roll dice to determine if you killed somebody or how. Like I think I had one with the Terminator where like if you rolled a high enough uh, dice roll, you could like shoot somebody's arm off or something <laughs> like. That. It was very strange. Um, but I noticed there was a bunch of Dungeons and Dragons manuals in, um, William Forsythe's back room 
yeah. which is really neat because I have those manuals in my house right now. Um, yeah, that was like but, that was still the early days, pretty much of uh, you know the early. Yeah, I think it was one of the first couple issues of of, uh, of the Dungeons and Dragons manuals. Which, by the way, TSR, the company that founded D and D, was a Wisconsin company, so that was a big deal, I think, for us oh, nice. uh, in, in my home state. Um, but one thing that's neat about this, or interesting about this, and you were talking about this, Alex, is this this. I was actually talking to my wife about this too we were, we were talking about 70s movies and how you started to see a lot of divorces there's divorce films like uh kramer versus kramer and other things like that and then in the 80s you started to see sort of the repercussions of that in, in like single parent households yeah and you see a lot of that in 80s movies and in 80s tv shows like kate and Allie and and stuff like that um so both parents it's interesting of the kids are single um, and in one case, uh, you don't know what happened to the little girl's mom, but obviously Davy's mom has died. Um, but it's, it's a really interesting dynamic. It was like, it almost the norm. Like it was like, that was so common at a certain point that that became, it, I just like it when, when popular films reflect what I guess is going on in the culture at the time. I, so I think that's a great, great point you bring up because I was watching something this week. I can't remember what it was. I don't, I won't grind things to a halt by looking, but it was, I think, either a late 60s or 70s film. And I remember thinking to myself the exact same thing you just said because they talked about um, a divorce and some sort of a, a drug dependency, like a, a prescription dependency. And I thought the same thing. I thought this is clearly, I think, a commentary on, on where society was at the time. The divorce was really starting to boom and, you know, people weren't happy and they were – it was showing more in films. So, yeah, I think that you brought up a great point by saying that. It's just interesting because you go back to those films and you'll start to notice there's a lot of single parent situations. And and that's not as common now, I don't think. I mean, it's it's about a half and half. You know, it comes up, but it was really common at the time. Um, I, I put this in a friend of mine coined this phrase, whiz kid movies. And, oh, yeah. and there's there's this film, there's War Games, Manhattan Project, uh, Iron Eagle, maybe, or Revenge of the Nerds, I guess. Um, you could throw maybe in the Gary Coleman movie Kid with the 200 IQ if you really want to stretch it. But um, that's an interesting trend in movies, this sort of like, you know, really smart kid kind of thing. Or even to bring De Palma into it, the the whiz kid that, that plays a big part in Dress to Kill. Yeah, yeah. What's his name? The uh, the director? I can't think of his yeah, name. Yeah, I can't think of his name. No, not Brian. Um, yeah, anyway. Keith Gordon. Keith, Keith Gordon. Gordon, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. He is a, he is a prototypical whiz kid type character. Absolutely. Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller, yeah, exactly. See now there you go. Yeah. That's another great sort of whiz kid. It's funny that was another trend. Um, but I was gonna say um, I, this is a sort of off that topic, but I love the look of eighties malls. There's yeah, me too, man. Really, really nostalgic about that mall when he's walking around it. I don't know what it is, and I think part of it has to do with like in Morris's shop. There's all those old Atari cartridge boxes. Oh, those and are great. I, mean, I love that stuff. It's it's just like my my love for um, exploitation posters or just good posters in general, where you look at the cover of the box and it really promises the they would get great drawings done for those, and it promises this great experience. And then of course when you put it in, it was you know really <laughs> cheesy, you know. But but there's something so nostalgic about those boxes. Just seeing them all around, I was like, oh man, this brings me back. Um, I was really obsessed with um, guns as a kid, and uh, and so like this film I think was one of the reasons because they they have a lot of guns they have the guns with silencers they have the obligatory Uzis which yes. you know, 
were such a big deal in the 80s and so i don't know you, you as a kid i think if you liked guns you had to sort of like uzis because they were just so used a lot you know i had hey. one i had a little black back when that before the guns had to be orange i had a nice black uzi that you, you when you pulled the trigger it made the like click uh gun fire oh, yes yeah and it, yeah, because I think it would almost have like those gears that would whiz up. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I totally yeah. had one of those. Here, see if I don't know if this is going to come through. If I, I haven't done this in probably twenty years, let me see if I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> that was the noise I would make with my GI Joes when one of them had an Uzi. <laughs> That's pretty good. That is a pretty good Uzi sound. I like that a lot. Yeah, that and and the guns and then the walkie-talkies. Walkie-talkies were a big deal when I was a kid. I used to love to play with walkie-talkies, and I think it was partially because of this movie. Um, I had these great I I, uh, transformer walkie-talkies. Oh yeah, they I mean they just look like generic like transformers, but they had they were holding a little laser that, and had Morse code on the back of it, so you could uh, the laser would light up when you'd press a button, so you could like, in theory <laughs> send a Morse code from, to somebody else with the blinking of the light. <laughs> they were terrible too. They didn't sound like shit. <laughs> they never worked as well or, or had the range that they were supposed to have. No, you know because like they're always. Feet. <laughs> around a corner yeah. Um, but yeah there, there's a really great supporting cast in this too I mean obviously Michael Murphy is a really good villain there's a lot of really menacing villains in the movie I think that's another thing that really not shook me up as a kid but made an impression because I was like I really believe these guys will kill him you know and especially the the speech that Michael Murphy gives him at the end uh, you know in that scene with him he's like talking about how he's going to kill him and all this stuff and it's just like wow this is intense um, sorry. No, 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 no. I, I apologize. I was going to say, I totally agree with you. It's so insane. Murphy saying to him how he's going to shoot him in the kneecaps and the stomach, and it's just going to be a painful death. And he's saying this to a little boy. And then Henry Thomas's character says, but I don't want to shoot you. And Michael Murphy gives him, he goes, but I want to shoot you. I know. <laughs> it's just like, it's just, oh, you cocksucker. I got to say, this is my first exposure to Michael Murphy. And then I would later find, you know, find him in, Manhattan and, and these other Woody Allen films. He's a great actor. I like Michael Murphy a lot. Yeah. But this is a really convincing performance as a bad guy. He he pulls it off well. Um, but I was going to say, Rick Rossovich's brother, Tim, uh, speaking of the tracksuit, um, <laughs> isn't he the one that wears it uh, in this yeah. movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a great baddie, too. I mean, he looks a little bit like Rick, um, but he always uh, he will always be the bad guy from this movie for me. Uh, him and that other guy, I've seen the other uh, henchmen. I've seen some other movies, but those guys are always like the bad guys from Cloak and Dagger. There's no other. Yeah. <laughs> Rossovich kind of reminds me of the uh, orig- one of the original. I don't remember who it was. One of the original hosts of American Gladiators. Oh, Larry Zonka. Larry Zonka. Zonka there you go. Oh, he looked yeah. a lot like that little kind of almost fo- like fluffy almost mullet and yep. the and the staff. Yeah, he totally looks like Zonka. You're totally right. <laughs> And I was going to say another little touch is uh, Robert DeKey shows up as a cop, yeah. and he is one of the great uh, black exploitation actors. Was in Coffee as George the Pimp, if I remember, and and he's in Miracle Mile, which I'm a huge fan of too. Um, anyway, I love this movie. I love Henry Thomas's performance. I like this movie considerably more than I like ET, and and some might find that you know blasphemous, but. I would watch this movie a hundred times before I'd watch E.T. again. I'm not a huge E.T. fan. So. Oh, I love E.T., but that's... No, it's good. It's good, but I'm just... I think for for me, pound for pound, Henry Thomas performances, I like this one better. This is a good one. It really is a really good performance. And 
I think we always say on this show, and I think a lot of us can agree that being the lead character in a in a in a movie as a child can be a very thankless role for an from an adult perspective and can be grating and annoying. But Henry Thomas does a great job of being uh, a persistent, um, uh, resourceful child character without being annoying or obnoxious. Yeah. Right. He still has an air of sweetness about him, you know, which I think is really endearing. And I do want to say, it's funny, Tim Rossovich now has been on the show twice in the past two months because he played the goon in Avenging Angel as well. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, and he was roommates with Tom Selleck at University of Southern Cal. <laughs> and they, they shared the, they must have shared the same mus- mustache. Yes, poem, yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've got a similar mustache going on. Oh, yeah. But Will, you go for it. That's all. I, that's all my notes. Okay. Um, yeah, I hadn't seen this in close to twenty years. Um, when I think of Dabney Coleman, this is what I think of, because this was the first time I saw him, and this film did have a strong impression on me as a child. Um, I hadn't seen it, like I said, in a long time, but I just I really loved it as a kid. Um, so I was very interested to see how this was going to shake out for me. Um, I clearly at the time didn't have my eye on William Forsythe. Oh God! How did I forget to mention him? You you yeah. said his name. Yeah, he's so good. He's really good in it. I wish he had a larger part. Um, yeah. but he's almost unrecognizable. He's got like this this, <laughs> this beard, this huge beard, and these insanely thick Coke bottle glasses. Yeah. And they're almost like gag glasses, but um, yeah, it just you know it's really interesting. And Franklin, I think the thread this week. The common thread between the two films is it's non-American f- filmmakers making very American films. Yeah. yeah. You have an Australian and a Russian, of all things. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, but uh, it just was really interesting to see William Forsyth show up kind of being a pushover because we're so used to him now as as being a bit of a macho man. And, you know, it's interesting to see him as this kind of, uh, what was he, like a, a video game programmer slash, like he was like a store shop, like he... He was the clerk like a, of the store, that, I think that was his store, and... Yeah, he, it was. Know, he obviously was into the whole uh, role-playing game thing as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he was like a prototype comic book guy without the comic books, more or less. Yes. He feels like a physical, like, representation of what would become the comic book guy in The Simpsons in some respects. But But a lot nicer. Yeah, for yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't sarcastic, really. No. Both films this week, more so this one, uh, really, you know, Cold War era, Reagan era, um, so much that when Jack Flack drops in to the screen, he's got a big American parachute <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with the stars and stripes on it. Yeah. And this film, it's it's great um, because, I mean, we're 10 minutes into the kids' movie. There's been stabbings, there's blow darts, there's ricocheting bullets. <laughs> yes, like, that whole opening is great. It's it's a really and it surprises me because it it was a more innocent time, but it also feels like you could never get away with that shit in a kids movie nowadays. Oh. Yeah. No yeah. way, not even you couldn't even flash a gun too often in a kids movie or, yeah. you know, but it well, just even, really was even we you know to go back to ET, I mean, they went back oh, and that was re-released. They went back and edited the guns out. Yeah, that fucker. I, I, That's one I, of the reasons I don't like the movie, like, because you have to watch the theatrical cut, at least in my opinion, not to be all whatever about it. Well, I agree with you. I anyway. agree with you. Um, I think Dabney Coleman's perfect for this role because he has a very serious look, but he has great comedic timing and, and, and a warmth that, that he can turn on and off at the stop of a dime. 
Or on a dime, yeah. I should say, at the stop. Of the well, and yeah, the, the 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 dad character that he plays, and he it's just such a great dual role, great display for his acting uh, range. Oh yeah, yeah, it really, really is. Um, the woman that that da- that Jack Flack kills in the beginning, she's wearing almost like a Miss Elizabeth esque blue satin with rhinestones <laughs> dress. <laughs> oh my gosh! Totally Miss Elizabeth. Like yeah, I, just, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, totally. But uh, poor Liz. <laughs> poor Liz. Yeah, she got it in this one. Um, another thing that you know, one of the things that brought back a lot of strong memories from my childhood was when um, Henry Thomas was pouring the fake blood, like that syrupy blood with like the the vampire face on it. I so remember like being obsessed with fake blood and like the fake skin that you could mix, you know, scars that never looked anywhere near as good as they did on the cover and. <laughs> You know, I just I loved yeah. seeing that fake kind of corn syrup blood that just really brought back a lot of memories. Um, it wouldn't be a GGT GGTMC film without a dummy death, and there's a great dummy death and oh dummy yeah falls down the stairs or through the uh, yeah the flights. <laughs> I forgot to mention that. I was like Henry Silva probably watches this movie and last yes yes <laughs> yeah it's part of his greatest package he's edited together. Um, it's so funny though because I for I didn't really realize that. Um, that Franklin was a, a Hitchcock enthusiast because the part with those staircases was totally reminded me like a Hitchcock. Like I don't know if it was Vertigo or or what it was, but it just reminded me of uh, of Hitchcock. So it's funny you'd said that, Rube. Yeah, well, it's neat the way that they play that out in the reflection of the other building and stuff. I mean, that's a, that's a great device. Oh yeah, um, I really love that Davy envisions Jack Flack. Uh, or who he like? I don't think we're spoiling anything by saying that, are we? Like, you kind of I, touched on it, or? Uh, I mean, isn't it isn't it established in basically the first couple scenes? Yeah, maybe? no, I think you're right. It is. Yeah, so yeah, I'm not yeah. gonna. I'm gonna it's sort of it. not. Yeah. Anyway, and I think it's really. We know that he plays two roles, so. Okay. Yeah, you can see that in the credits, so it's no, it's no secret. But I love that he envisions his dad as as the Jack Flack uh, hero. I think that to me was a really sweet thing. Um, I, just, I really love that, and like I said, it, Coleman did a good job between the two roles. Like it, even the, the scene early on where the son says to um, to Hal, who's the, the father, is I hate you, and I know as a father I'm going to hear that one day, and that's like the worst thing. Like you know, your kid will like tear your heart out, and they don't even realize it. And there's a great kind of poignant moment uh, from his dad's perspective. Because most of us, from the, from the son's perspective, but uh, Dabney sa- says to him, you know, heroes aren't always, they don't just kill bad guys. They do boring things like put supper on the table and fix bicycles. And I, I just, I really love that line. I thought it was a really good, uh, kind of emotionally uh, strong line, you know, in giving his character a bit of, uh, not perspective, but a bit of the, the perspective is more from his, from his perspective, for lack of a better uh, yeah. word at that point. He was kind of he was yeah. you know, laying it out on the table for Mr. Henry. Yeah, yeah you that's could, a great great line. I like that a lot. Yeah, and you could tell it wasn't that he was an absentee <laughs> father. It's the mother wasn't there because she had died. He's struggling to keep, you know, to, he he clearly loves his son and does things for him, but because he has to do both roles uh, in terms of outside of the house and in the house, it's unfortunately worn uh, spreads him a little thin. Um, yeah. Yeah, but uh, like I said, Henry Thomas is really good in it. I love the red. There's this, there's a moment in the film when um, Forsyth's character cracks something in the game, and he's sitting there slack jawed, and there's just this red beacon flashing on his thick, 
Coke bottle glasses. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I just love that. I don't know why. It, just, it looked pretty funny. Um, yeah, we talked about the gray sweatsuit, and clearly Rosovich got it at the uh, – he got the carotene. He requested the carotene cut sweatsuit because he had a roll of nickels jangling around on the front there. <laughs> like when he gets on the boat, it's like the camera was a little too low, man. It's just – I told uh, I told Alex his junk was jangling this way and that. <laughs> Jeez, man, like just letting it all Dude, hang out. Speaking of junk, this is funny. I have the cloak and dagger poster in my office, and and I don't know if it's you can see this, and if you go and look at an image of the poster, but you know it shows Dabney Coleman and um, and Henry Thomas, and one of my coworkers came into my office and basically ruined the poster for me in some ways because he's like. Is that Dabney Coleman's junk? And you can no. kind of see, you can kind of see something in the leg of his pants that's like a little <laughs> bit like, what is that? What is that supposed to be exactly? And so now every time I I look, I, there's unfortunately I, I, I my eye is drawn to Dabney Coleman's junk. <laughs> <laughs> and and you're like, is that Milton Berle or Dabney Coleman? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Nice. I, I'm not. Anyway. No, here I am. Nine in the morning, trying to Google a picture of the poster to see if I can see the junk for some. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm curious if people can see it if they just look online, because you know when you're standing next to the poster, you know it's easier to see. Uh, why am I getting everything but the poster? It's like uh, there's like the White Queen from uh, Marvel for some reason. <laughs> As I'm grinding this view to halt. Okay, um, I'll look for his junk later. Yeah, yeah, here it is. I'll send you the poster. <laughs> yeah it's there you see it right yeah, okay. yeah there's a lot of uh okay let me just see this here oh wow yeah he is milton burl after all <laughs> he looks like snidely sneed in that poster <laughs> he does with that mustache think about the <laughs> think, think about the uh the the struggle of the having to film this movie you know they had to they had to go back obviously and film all of his parts as the dad first and then he had to trim up the mustache for all the jack parts yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i didn't even think about that that must have been really tricky to go through the whole movie twice in some ways well i mean i guess he doesn't have that many scenes with his dad so there's more jack yeah parts yeah, yeah. Not, sorry <clears throat> um is is jacket that he wears is kind of Michael Jackson meets members only. Yes, it's <laughs> awesome, and it I is. love how the parachute folds up into it at the beginning. Yeah, 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 that was really good. That jacket um, probably weighs like eighty five pounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally, man. That guy's pinching nerves every day, man. Um, there's a lot of awesome, which, what's now considered retro, but back then wasn't a lot of Houston Astro shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the Astro stuff was so great back in the day. All this orange oh, yeah. and like the the ring, there's tons of ringers and yeah, just fantastic. Um, I won't say, say too much about the awesome three fingers scene. Um, you know, you talked about onions or vinegar and yeah, yeah, yeah. and so forth. But uh, I love that there's a part when he when Henry Thomas's character's in the car and and, and I'm not going to critique it, but I just I do have to point it out. The villains were from that, the graduates from the number one villain academy in the world, which is um, attack one at a time or wait till the hero makes the first move. Like, just <laughs> five of them are out standing, like, around the car, just waiting for it, waiting to be bowled over like bowling pins. <laughs> it's just kind of funny. Again, I'm not going to critique because, I mean, it's a kid's movie, but it's just that convention. 
Uh, we talked about the Uzi with the silencer that wasn't very silent for some inexplicable reason. <laughs> and, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about Dabney's uh, wardrobe, but Henry Thomas wears there to me. There was and this. I don't know why I thought of this. Hopefully, you guys agree with this. To me, the whiz kids or or the boys in films, like the the central character in a lot of these films, whether it was Neverending Story with Bastion or whatever it was. Speaking of single parent homes, uh, by the way. Um, the boys in these films always wore either windbreakers or zip-up hooded sweatshirts. Yeah. yeah. I, and the, as soon as you talk, before you even said that, I was thinking the War Games coaster. But yeah, yeah, the, it, yeah, was, it must have been a little yeah. handy. I mean, maybe the hood helps. Who knows? And it was, and it was in the middle of the summer in Texas too. So. Yeah, that's right, man. <laughs> um, there's a moment with Dabney's character when he says to Henry Thomas, go get me a smoke. And it's just so funny how smoking was just so much more culturally acceptable. We talked about that a few weeks ago with, with the Flintstone ad and a few other things. But it's uh, – I just got a couple more notes here. Um, you know, you can call me nostalgic or sentimental, but I love the payoff with um, with uh, with Henry – with Dabney as the father with his profession – yeah, yeah. Like I love, I love that payoff for me. Anyway, it's you know, it really is fantastic. Uh, the film, unfortunately, does have the fakest walk away from an explosion in the history of cinema. <laughs> well, you know what I was going to say to you, and I should have brought this up earlier, but back to the Hitchcock love. That's yeah. a total Hitchcock uh, scene. That 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 rear projected thing. If you look at a Hitchcock movie, you can. There's tons of them that have that exact. And so I, I you know, part of me thinks that's just of the time mm. that, that they did it. But I also think that there's probably a deliberateness to it in that it's very much recalling a Hitchcock, um, beca- partially because of what he has to do in that scene as far as, not to give anything away, but like a transformation. Yes, uh, yes, yes. You know, I mean, like, I think that he that, that helps motivate him to use the rear projection, but I, I, write, I write it off as a Hitchcock, as much as it does look fake, you're right. Yeah, I also agree that even without the Hitchcock, there has to be a transformation of sorts that I was willing to accept it as being the reason for it being clumsy. But Yeah, you're right. Uh, and those are all my notes. Cool. All right, well, uh, I, guess I'll, I guess I'll go back to the what our make or breaks and stuff. Um, I, I think the make or break scene for me, and, and Will, you mentioned it, the, um, is the scene with uh, William Forsyth playing the game. And kind of uncracking stuff, and um, that's that scene kind of always stuck with me when I was younger, and um, so it still was kind of like the the, the hinge of the movie for me again. Um, the my MVT is Dabney Coleman. I mean, I guess that's an obvious one. Um, yeah, he he has great range in the movie. He's um, he's warm, and you you do see some of his. Um, snideness come through at times like he does in other movies um he's just he's really good all around and my score is a this might sound low it's a 7.5 out of 10 i I still love this movie a lot but as an adult now i can see the imperfections in it which i talked about already um so that kind of it kind of brings it down but especially if this is one that you enjoyed when you were younger um certainly by all means don't be afraid to check it out again because it you, you you'll still you'll still have an attachment to it I'm sure. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, and I would say that if you have children, um, particularly if you have uh, you know a child of a similar age, which I do, 
and I was telling Will this. I watched, you know, I, I watched it with my son. I watched the film with my son, you know, a year or two ago, and now I watched it again this week by myself, and I found myself getting really emotional during a lot of the scenes with Henry Thomas's character, especially the ending and a couple other scenes where he's just he's just a really sad kid, you know, and he's sort of isolated and alone and. Uh, there's just some things that really got me about it. So yeah, I, I would say it might be so, somewhat more poignant for some people now. Yeah. I mean, and as far fetched as the ending is, I still, I still get teared up watching it now. So, Oh yeah. That's yeah, what I'm saying. Good, that's why I mean, it's such a great ending. It's such a great payoff for it. Yeah. Yeah. I really, it really got me. Um, I would say um, I, I, I'm, it's tough for me to do make or break. Cause there's a couple different scenes. I love the opening. Um, I think the opening is really good. Um, I also love the the crossfire gambit scene followed by the scene with Michael Murphy. I mean, not love in that I get. I just think they're really good scenes. Yeah. You know, there's some really cool, really well played, and 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 some advancing of the character, some difficult spots for the character of Davy to deal with, and I think it's done really well. So those two are kind of a dual make or break for me. Um, and I got to give it to, to Dabney too. I mean, Dabney's really the best. I mean, just, he does such a great job. Um, I thought about giving it to Richard Franklin because I think it's a really well-directed movie and it's in a lesser director's hands. I feel like it could kind of be a mess. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, my score is, is a little higher, but I, I have both a nostalgic attachment to it, uh, because I saw it countless times as a kid. But also now, I still feel like for me, like I have this emotional attachment to it because of the age of my son and and everything like that. So I, I scored a nine out of ten. Uh, it's one of my. It's literally one of my top 100 films of all time. Uh, I, I still go back to it a lot. So that's that's why I'm at with it. Okay, um, my make or break was the ending. Um, I, I love a lot of this film, and actually, that reminds me. Have you watched? Speaking of hooded, sweatshirted heroes, boy heroes, have you guys? Uh, have you watched Daryl with your son yet, Brian? I know we talked about it once. No, I've been meaning to forever. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Um, I, I, he'll totally like it when I when I get to it. Um, yeah, but my my scene is just the end. It, it does. It is very sweet for me. Um, and like you guys said, about being about Henry Thomas's character being sad, it does hit me more now that I'm older. Um, because I look at my son and how I never want him to feel that way. And I, I think in my time as a boy, I, you know, my father was wasn't around as much because he was my parents were divorced and my mother had to do double duty and stuff. And, and like I said, I have a great relationship with my father, but you know, the reality was, you know, childhood divorce, blah blah blah. But so that the end for me was a fantastic payoff because I think. Actually, I don't. I don't want to say any more than that. It's a fantastic payoff. Um, my MVP. Did you get? Sorry, well, did you get any emotionalness watching the movie, or how did it affect you? Like in terms of being misty-eyed or anything? Well, maybe yeah, something like that. I, I didn't. Uh, I was close. I got a slight little lump in my throat at the end. Um, but I think I guess it was like you know one in the morning. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. Yeah, that I late, was gonna say you watched it pretty late. It was pretty late, so it was about survival at that point. <laughs> no. uh, but, you still uh, had Tango and Cash in the queue after that, I right? I still had to do Tango and Cash afterwards, <laughs> do the breaks, and listen to the voicemail. So, yeah, wow. I was I was just a little um, well, survival at that point. But it it you know I'm a pretty sentimental person, and and like I said, because the the father son thing, it it did it did get to me a little bit. Um, my MVT, as much as it could be Coleman or Franklin or even Thomas, who does a great job, it's just the overall 
um, uh, great notion to not condescend or talk down to kids. Like let them let this play out as an adventure for the kids without while still having a little bit of teeth and, and edge to it. Yeah, I think that's the most valuable thing. Because if if you strip this away and make it a toothless film, it, it kind of becomes pointless. Because you know, if there's no real threat, then who cares? Um, my score for the film also isn't maybe as high as as uh, certainly not as Brian's. It's a seven point five out of ten. But this is a film I do love. I think it holds up tremendously well. It's a film I can't wait for my son to be maybe about seven, eight years old to watch with him because I it's. I hope I hope he has as much fun. My, both my sons, for that matter. I hope they have as much fondness for it as I do. Um, and I think it's a testament to the film and everyone involved that it holds up as well as it does. Cool. All and right. on that note, do you know who that mystery man is that I sent you guys a picture of? I have no, no who idea. Who the heck is that? That's Patrick Stewart from. Well, you know who Patrick Stewart. Is. Oh, I can see I that. Can okay. See <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Wow. It's, his, it's his birthday today, and that picture was on a, a gossip website I go to all the time, delisted. So, wow. We'll have to it's post like that on the, on the Facebook group. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say that. That's gotta make it. That's that maybe maybe better than the Randy Quaid picture in no, some ways. No. I like the Quaid. I like it. I like it better. I mean, I like the Quaid better. I like the Quaid yeah, me too, better. man. But it's an interesting photo. But uh, yeah, so that's it. We got uh, some strong scores there. We got some loincloth Patrick Stewart, and we're going to take a break <laughs> and come back with uh, the height of homoeroticism with Tango and Cash. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. Okay. All right now, for all you boppers out there in the big city, all you street people with an ear for the action, I've been asked to relay a request from the Gramercy Riffs. It's a special one for Movie Meltdown. That's how we lie, a bunch of movie geeks with a show about some crazy movies. And I do mean Movie Meltdown. Here's a hit with them in mind. Come check out Movie Meltdown. News, reviews, and interviews about your favorite thing, movies. Ten dollars for the budget matinee. The budget matinee. <laughs> why we don't go to the theater? That's very right. Often. Come by and check it out at moviemeltdown.com. I kind of want to be able to mix it up and, and tie everything right. into one big conglomerated mass of movie geekdom. And I don't know that's if we, we could. Are. That's what we are. Movie meltdown for movie geeks by movie geeks. Be looking good, movie meltdown. You hear me, babies? Good. Real good. Adios. Are you ready for the sex girls? The hot, hot, lean, hot, big, hot girls. Are you ready for the sex girls? The right, right, ultra vital, nice, nice girls. They play pool in your house and take off their own. And that means it's time for Tango and Cash. So this is another film, uh, much like Cloak and Dagger, that a lot of people were excited to hear us talk about. I know Sammy really wanted to be in on the conversation for this. 
Um, let me kick it over to you, Loaf, and we'll get into the late 80s Buddy Cop classic. All right. Um, it's from uh, 1989, directed by Andre. You tried this one. I'm going to picture it to Konchala, Konchalovsky. Um, really, really bizarre <laughs> that this this movie and his lineup here. It's, uh, he did a lot of Russian movies, it looks like. He's doing a Nutcracker in 3D now. <laughs> doesn't seem like it. Doesn't seem like it really fits into his uh, his list of stuff. Yeah, he did a lot of Russian art house kind of cinema. He worked with like Tarkovsky and um, and what is there was something about Rublev or something in there I saw. It just it's really insane that this guy of all people was chosen <laughs> to be the the filmmaker um, uh, for this film. It's I mean, just, it's. I'm not sure that I see anything else that would be on the same lines as. No. I mean, I think he did a couple of their Hollywood films. Uh, what's that one I saw? Homer and Eddie, uh, which I've never seen, but I think I saw that it had Whoopi Goldberg in it. Here's one with John Voight called Runaway Train. Oh, that's a great movie. Oh! Wait a second. Oh, no, it's, I thought it said The Odessa File for some reason. Sorry. Well, anyway. I like Runaway Train. Um, I'll go ahead and then... Uh, Synopsis. I love the synopsis on here. Two cops are framed and must clear their names. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, this this movie for me has a. It's nostalgic for other reasons. I was a little older, obviously, when I saw this one, and uh, this more lines up with my um, my Skinamax my Skinamax <laughs> era days that I mentioned in the in the Cloak and Dagger review. So, um, so one of you guys can. Start uh, start with your notes. Did you want to start, Brian? Or? Sure, I'll go. <clears throat> um, one thing people should note is that it is on Netflix Instant right now. Those in the States can uh, go check it out if they want to. Um, I think um, this is the first time I ever heard the, the phrase FUBAR. I think it may have um, coined that phrase. I don't know if you guys heard FUBAR before this movie, but I never did. Didn't Wasn't there a metal band that had... Uh, their name of their album was Fubar. I know Van Halen had OU812, but I thought someone else had an album named Fubar. It's very possible. But me being the sheltered Wisconsinite that I was, somehow, you know, <laughs> Tango and Cash was the only thing that. Yeah, I think. To me. That's a great. Sorry. I, I think Fubar, like, was a military thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I remember seeing it, like, maybe they talked, maybe they even brought it up in, uh, in Band of Brothers. Somewhere I've seen it, some World War II thing where they say Fubar. Which obviously was filmed afterwards, and maybe they just added it in. But you know, since that was based on a, on a, on memoirs and such, it could have been. But anyway, sorry. No, yeah, I can't believe that a phrase that cool could have come from this movie. So, I'm sure, <laughs> before, um, before this, but um, this is coming like a little later in the buddy cop cycle of the '80s. Like I think that started with, I mean, if you will, started with Forty Eight Hours in 1982. I mean, prior to that. So, sorry, got, Brian. Let, let me let me jump in. I hate to I hate to do this, but do either one of you have any software open that you're running while we're recording right now? Because I'm picking up uh, the audio quality is dropping a little bit. Again, have you you know downloading anything? No, I'm good. I'm I'm not good. Okay, apologies. I, I just wanted to make sure. That's all. Yeah, I don't think so. I'm quitting out of everything that I had QuickTime open, but that's it. Um. Uh, but so like 48 hours in 82, I mean, if you wanted to count freebie and the bean, maybe in 74, but, um, 
you know, so you've got your 48 hours, then you've got Running Scared maybe in 86, Stakeout in 87, Midnight Run in 88. This is in 89. The same year, I think, as Turner and Hooch and Canine, so the studios were obviously already trying to change up the formula with dog partner movies and stuff. Uh, and then the next... <laughs> And then two years later, they would the hard way would come out with James Woods and Michael J. Fox, which is more of a buddy cop comedy kind of thing. So there, it feels like it's it's towards the end of a certain cycle. But the, I don't know if the cop movie genre has ever really died out because Point Break was you know a few years later, and I think that's a really strong buddy cop movie. And oh yeah, so I don't know, but um, I like that the, the it's got a fun '80s movie open with Stallone having this okay let's do it quote like over the titles of the film <laughs> which i thought was pretty interesting um but you gotta love a movie that opens with like stallone chasing um Z- zadar you know driving a truck yes um, that's what i put one minute and 18 seconds in and we've got the zadar <laughs> exactly. yeah. and you've got uh harold faltermeyer score which is pretty bad actually beverly but hills cop light <laughs> Yeah, it's totally Beverly Hills Cop Light. It's it's so synthy and it's playing over the chase scene at the beginning. There's so much ridiculous stuff in the beginning scene, um, you know, that it just really sets the tone. I mean, the whole the whole introduction of the, of the first two characters of Tango and Cash are is so ridiculous right away when you see that um, produced by John Peters and Peter Goober credit. You're kind of like, oh, okay, that makes sense, I guess. And I think that's part of the reason maybe we don't expect this kind of movie from the director is, is it's actually maybe not as much him and maybe more of those two guys who were obviously nuts, um, you know, creating this, you know, crazy action movie. Um, I feel like they were a big influence on the director. Um, but I love that, um, we're introduced to Jack Palance and he, he is like immediately hits the ground running, like chewing it up with, you know, cash and tango, tango and cash, <laughs> cash and tango, tango and cash. <laughs> it's just like invoking the title twice and in reverse, you know, he's just, I don't know. But that, I love that in that same scene. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, it's like this and uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not were my two, uh, my two palance things of my youth. <laughs> <laughs> I love that in the same scene that we're introduced to palance, you also have James Hong who is like a favorite of mine. And obviously there's sort of a slight, although they don't have too many scenes together. It's a slight big trouble in little China reunion and that Lopan and, and Jack Burton are in the same scene together at some point. I had that in my notes. I'm, I'm, I'm curious if Russell had anything to do with getting James Hong over. I, I am too, but he was such a staple of, uh, 80s movies and 80s action movies. He's in so many movies. <laughs> his um, his uh, his snotty role in Ridge of the Nerds 2 will always hold the special place in my heart. Yeah, that's a great. I totally forgot about him. <laughs> He's so good. It's funny. Um, Lars Nilsson played a movie that James Hong directed uh, at Weird Wednesday at one point a couple years ago. Uh, it's called Teen Lust, and um, maybe people should try and check it out. It's sort of like. I, I can't really describe it. It's it's a weird sort of sex comedy kind of movie, but it's directed by James Hong. I don't think he's really tried to get it out there too much. I think he's kind of ashamed of it, but I just think it's interesting because <laughs> it's directed by Lopan. I think that's interesting. That's incredible. I never even knew that existed. I'm going to have to look that one up. There's a, I think there's a Region 2 DVD, and it's under the name of an alternate title, like Police Girls Academy or something like that. It's... 
it's a weird one. But um, <clears throat> I like the um, the smart Stallone with glasses <laughs> trying to play like quippy and snarky, you know, against the Rocky Rambo type and and the whole Rambo is a pussy line. At oh the very yeah, Rambo. so silly. It's a pussy. <laughs> and then you know, I mean, I know this is gonna come up, but um. Kurt Russell's mullet is like one for the ages. Oh yeah, it's just it, it, it has wings. I mean, it's just fantastic. I think it should be in the Smithsonian. I think it's like the you know it's it's a mullet to end all mullets. It's like you know if Jack Burton got too much hot oil help or something, you know, just <laughs> it's a tease explosion. His fucking mullet. It it um, really. I mean, it it even puts John Stamos to shame. Oh yeah, and that's yeah, no yeah. small feat. <laughs> no, it's Stamos's height. I mean, he is—he is a mullet king, to say oh, the least. Oh yeah, he is. I love um, guns with laser sights. Back to the gun, you know, gun obsessions. Laser sights were ever since the Terminator very, um, you know, very cool for me when I was a kid. Um, and and I don't know. So whenever I see them, there's so many guns in this movie, and so many different types of guns in this movie. Oh yeah, it's pretty crazy just to think about how many times characters are holding guns or shooting guns. It's almost every other scene. Um, another thing that's really neat is all the uh, character actors in the movie, like tons of like that guy kind of people, like the Russian dude that, that Gabe Cash steals the car from in the garage has been in tons of stuff. He's always plays a Russian guy and he's like, I think he, I don't know what he was in. Uh, Morgan Stewart's coming home as one of the butlers and he's in all these other movies. Um, uh, but there's tons of people like that in this movie. So many that pop up, I couldn't even identify them all. But one of the great ones is Eddie Bunker, um, who uh, is I think one of Gabe Cash's fellow cops. Did you guys catch where? Do you know who Eddie Bunker is? You guys? I don't think so. Uh, I don't off the top of my head, man. I gotta admit. He was in He was in Reservoir Dogs. He was Mister. Oh Blue. yes, 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 yes. I know who you mean. He and he's he's. He's in Straight Time, which is one of my favorite movies, and he wrote the book based that it's based on. It's called No Beast So Fierce. So I don't know if he's a he's an ex-con turned actor, which I've always thought was really interesting. Um, but anyway, he's got a great great part in it, and of course the immortal Brian James, um, with a ridiculous Cockney accent. Oh, drives it's, people it, nuts. it's it's the worst Cockney accent in the history of cinema, it, and it, it gets even worse when. Stallone's mocking him by doing his own Cockney accent. So it's like <laughs> dueling double terrible Cockney accents. Yeah, it's it's pretty awful. Uh, I mean, some other character actors that pop up are um, uh, Clint Howard shows up for like one shot. Michael uh, J. Pollard. I was just going to say Pollard is great as sort of like the, the Q in this, the, if you will, the James Bond Q type, getting yeah. all the gadgets and things. Um. Uh, there's a couple others, too. You know, I'm sure you guys saw. You know who's uncredited, strangely, and he has a reasonably big part as a character actor I like, that you may not know his name, but you'll know his face. It's Jeffrey Lewis. He played Captain Schroeder in the film. If you go all the way to the bottom, Jeffrey uh, Jeffrey Lewis has been in a ton of stuff, and he's uncredited in the film, which I just don't understand unless he wanted his name off it for some reason. Yeah. That I, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, he's got a prominent role. Uh, that guy's in a ton of stuff. He's in Night of the Comet. He's in so many movies. Yeah, I love. I saw, uh, I saw him recently in Double Impact. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I was going to say I love how um, newspapers and newspaper headlines are used a lot to 
sort of show what's transpired. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that just feels kind of, I don't know, antiquated now. Cause I don't feel like people read newspapers <laughs> as much and they certainly don't use them as much in movies. Um, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say that convention of the spinning newspaper onto the screen is going to be gone pretty soon. Yeah. I think it's pretty much gone now. Yeah. Um, but um, I, 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 I enjoyed the way they set up the two, you know, uh, characters and how different they are. Like, for instance, when they're in court sort of defending themselves against this frame up and, you know, Stallone makes this quote unquote, uh, you know, articulate argument. And then Kurt, Kurt Russell is just <laughs> like, this whole thing fucking sucks. <laughs> it's just it's just so ridiculous down to like the way that they dress like, you know, Russell is like jeans and cowboy boots and a sports jacket and and stallone is like a three-piece suit and it's just so sort of by the numbers opposites you know it's it's kind of silly um uh let's see what i, I was gonna say well I, i'll let you one of you guys go i mean the, the terry hatcher thing i mean she looks really good but i gotta oh, say yeah. she's got the worst maybe the worst choreographer ever oh my god um, yeah for, i took a note about that one too <laughs> What about her strip, it, it, her strip scene or whatever, her dance scene? Oh, it's yeah, it's brutal. so terrible. It's <laughs> it's a lot of her like throwing her arms up in the air and kicking a leg out, and that's really the only move that she's got. Well, that's that that's bad enough. But then they decide that they're gonna make drums. Like she gets drumsticks and starts <laughs> drumming. And, <laughs> that was so. And and one of my notes is this is the probably the worst kind of strip stripper sequence. I've ever seen in a film besides a film I gave to love called White Phantom, where a woman strips from wearing a ninja costume, doing like <laughs> like a, an intrigue and kind of mysterious strip in her ninja costume. Like those two are just <laughs> the worst I've ever seen. Wow. But drums, I don't think of drums as being sex. Like if she had to play a horn or something, maybe you know, there's the there's the whole way you could go with playing a horn in a strip scene, but <laughs> drums don't quite cut it. I agree. How ridiculous! Anyway, how, um, how ridiculous would she have looked playing a horn, though? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You know, um, if she had played a horn, it would have been great if it was the wrong horn and Loaf called them out on it again. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting ready to say maybe she could play a sax and a trumpet noise would come out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, anyway, that's basically all the notes I've got. I'm curious what you guys have got. Did you want to go, Loaf? Yeah, I can go. Um, yeah, the uh, I do I do like that was the first thing I wrote down is Rambo is a pussy, <laughs> so <laughs> that's a it's a classic. And I was just getting ready to say, uh, um, Zadar, I don't know what the fuck's up with that dude's chin, but it's insane. And like the uh, the only thing I could thought to compare it to was uh, uh, Mickey Rourke's makeup in Sin City as Violent Marv. <laughs> yes, yeah. totally. And they probably put six pounds of putty on his chin, what that Zadar does naturally. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, and, and if uh, you, everybody should do themselves a favor and go to his go to Zadar's uh, IMDb page and look at this very strange looks like somebody snapped it at outside of somebody's house of him holding a gun. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, and his chin looks like it has gotten bigger, maybe because he's gained some weight. But anyway, um, <laughs> the uh, the music in the movie is so bad. It's like this, like synthy electro horn canned bullshit. <laughs> it's I mean, throughout. Yeah, it's awful, it's awful. Um, which kind of adds to the funny now, I think. But yeah, it, it was pretty brutal. Um, uh, I couldn't believe it was Faltermeyer because I actually like you know Beverly Hills Cop and Top Gun. I think there's some cool stuff in those, and this is just like, what the hell happened? Yeah. Um, 
I thought the uh, I thought the Kurt Russell as Cash, like you mentioned, I thought that was done very well. I think the role was probably written with him in mind. Um, you know, he plays he plays that shysty kind of good guy that's bad guy so well. The lovable rogue. Yeah. Um, he does. I I almost feel like he's a, just a touch too snarky for me in yeah. this movie, just a little bit. But that's just me because I love the John Carpenter sort of Kurt Russell characters, and this is just a bit more arrogant. And, but you're <laughs> right. If anybody can pull it off, he can. He's got he's got this amazing line delivery. That when him and Stallone are in the courthouse talking about the deal they're going to make or whatever, and they're talking about the minimum security prison. And he said he tells Tango he said you can uh, he's telling him he can start lifting weights early. He says you can start pumping early in the morning, uh, and then he does this little like flex like thing and like points off to the side and winks at Sylvester Stallone. It's just it's so good. It was so good to me. I don't know why. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> um, and the, on the other hand, I, it, it was kind of a bizarre role for <laughs> for Sylvester Stallone. Uh, I mean. Maybe not now that we've seen his films up to this point, but I think it might be the first appearance of the skinny, well-dressed Sly, as opposed to the slightly beefier, you know, kind of mongoloid. <laughs> uh, his, his glasses are hysterical. They're so, like, giant and round. Um, but, yeah, you know, the, we, we saw the skinny Stallone later, like, in Cliffhanger, and I think Oscar came out right after this movie, too, so... Um, stop from stop from your mom will shoot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're the yeah, we, we mentioned we mentioned uh, James Hong appearing in there. He always plays this like nasty guys. He's been in movies since the '60s, I think. So I'm curious if he's always played villains or not. But um, is he still alive? I think he's still alive. I think he is. Yeah. James Hong. Oh yeah, he is still alive. He's like he's old though. He's like uh, like eighty or ninety. But yeah, there's there's so many like one or kind of two liners in the movie <laughs> that are funny. Like I like when they first meet up and for some reason they hadn't, when, when Stallone and Russell meet up in the movie, they haven't apparently met before. I don't know why, but they, uh, they say like, I hear you, I hear you the second best cop in LA. So that's funny. I hear the same thing about you, <laughs> you know, there's oh, like stuff like that. And there's one I wrote down. I think this happened in the prison. I, was, I think I got a laugh out of this. When they were going into the prison and all the – I love the little lines they're saying as they're walking with the flaming toilet paper and paper raining down on them. But they hear this one dude yell like, Tango, I'm going to put some brown sugar in your ass. I wrote that <laughs> line down. That, that's a great line. That is a good line. I agree. Uh, yeah, I, I, I love the prison. The prison part I think was always the kind of the, the highlight. Well, besides the very end. But the um, I love the the prison stuff with the 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 giant cellmate of Russell that farts and tells he can't tells him he can't use the crapper. He's like, I don't care what you <laughs> use, but this one's mine. <laughs> and, the, and then the uh, Cl- the uh, Clint Howard ap- uh, appearance for uh, for Sly's cellmate. He calls him Slinky. And doesn't he even he doesn't even have a line, does he? Yeah, he does. He has a few lines, but yeah, he says he goes, I killed. Uh, I killed this man or something. And he goes, okay. And he goes, he was my best friend. Uh, oh yeah. I remember that now. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny too, because as I was watching it, I realized that as I'm, as I'm recording this show, I often sit here with a slinky also. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a little slinky on my desk here that I play with while I'm recording. 
Um, oh, thankfully, you're 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 hunkier than the Adonis that is Clint <laughs> Howard. He must be my, he must be my spirit animal. It's the only thing I can. <laughs> That's awesome. Slinky yeah. from Tango and Cash is my spirit animal. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm curious to see, uh, Brian. You said you watched this on Netflix Instant. Where have you? No, I didn't. I didn't actually. I watched it on DVD, but I noticed it was on Netflix Instant. Okay, I'm curious if the the copy that I saw the electrocution scenes are cut short. I know that they oh, were there really? because this is a this is something I had recorded off television when I was younger, and I've watched this tons. And there's a scene in the um, in the jail where they're kind of lowered into the water. Um, they cut out that scene. They they probably cut a good thirty seconds off of that. And there's another. Oh, scene, really? There's another scene on the rooftop where somebody gets it, and they definitely cut that short too. And and having seen it so much, I can actually hear the part where they're cutting it. Like I can still hear the audio sort of. Um, I'm just curious if if why it was even cut out. I mean. It seems like a bizarre cut. I mean, with considering all the other yeah. stuff. So, um, you know, I was I was happy in the movie to get some random tit shots here and there, but Terry Hatcher was so stingy. <laughs> it's like the bra I she know. had to dance with was still like it was gigantic. <laughs> oh <laughs> she yeah, was completely covered pretty much the whole time. And and it's a shame because, like we said, I mean, she looks ghastly now, but I mean, she is gorgeous, <laughs> gorgeous in this film. Yeah, I I had I had such the hots for her back in the day because of oh, this she's movie. she's so she honestly she's so fucking terrible now. But <laughs> wow, what a I mean, she just was working it back then, man. Yeah, and I I, I, did, I did mark down the uh, the embarrassing da- dance sequence when she gets pissed that somebody didn't hand her her drumsticks quick enough. <laughs> um, and I, I I asked this of Will last night, but um. Uh, Roop to you too. Who do you think looks better as a chick, uh, Kurt Russell in this movie or Jeff Bridges in Thunderbolt and Lifeless? <laughs> That's a good question. Or or Stallone in Nighthawks, which is what I thought of. Um, and I, I, you know, I. That's a good question. Uh, what did you guys go with? Because I'm gonna probably go with Bridges. I think looks a little better as a chick. I think, yeah, I think Russell does not look good as a chick. <laughs> I think Bridges came off a little better as the chick because, but I, I really liked the Russell part when he puts the does the middle finger pushing up the glasses and the yeah that was funny. <laughs> and her name Kiki's like Kiki. <laughs> I just think it's terrible all around, and Russell and drags make Snipes look like Laura Gemser. <laughs> you know, it's just it's uh, just bad. It's just bad. Uh, I don't know. I don't. Who did I say last night? I said, did I say Russell? Yeah, I think you said. I think you said you preferred Russell because you said Bridges was pretty, pretty rough. <laughs> I think either way you're losing with this. No matter who you choose. <laughs> I think in retrospect, I may have to go with uh, Bridges though. He has a slightly softer features. <laughs> yeah, and he wasn't. He wasn't shredded yet, like he was in the '80s. No. <laughs> yeah. By the time Starman hit around, that dude was rocking the 13 pack. So. <laughs> um. And I won't I won't keep going, uh, but the uh, I love the the ending sequence with the the whole truck porn and they're they're kind of uh, I don't remember the person in James Bond that always gave him the gadgets, but you know they have Q. that here. Okay, the Q character with his silly giant magnifying glass over one eye and <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. Like the fact <laughs> the fact that Russell has this like <laughs> I don't know if he works for the police force or what, but I mean, you know, we get the we get the the boot gun and the 
Yeah, the boot gun. That's pretty awesome. The freaking uh, the the exploding dog. That's, I don't know. But yeah, that truck. That's the worst. The worst fake dog. It's like such a plush animal. <laughs> it's it's so like like um like Coney Island witness at a like at a. At, at, Knock over some milk cans in 1982 for this. I was I was surprised it was filled with uh with foam as opposed to sawdust though. So. Yeah, no man. Well, yeah, the uh, the the ending sequence is is one for the agents. It's, it's probably kind of impossible to do, to describe, and I don't even know. They probably just gave up by the end of trying to make sense of it because everything's just kind of riding and blowing up, and it's pretty. <laughs> so the truck porn is all I wrote down as my notes. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, so, you, you can go ahead, Will. Uh, yeah, so you guys, you know, talked about a lot of stuff already, but I think it's interesting that they take two action icons and put them together because a lot of times with the the buddy cop movies, it's it's maybe two established actors, but these are two very, I mean, absolute icons of action cinema and who are primarily known for their solo work in their films, you know, Snake Plissken very much a loner and Rambo very much a loner. So it's interesting they put them together and, you know, of course they have to do the kind of opposites thing. Um, this film, I think, you know, I have to think they're, they're very aware of, of the conventions of the genre. I mean, early on, right after the truck sequence, the captain dresses down uh, Tango a little bit and, you know, it's got a lot of that stuff, the conventions you'd expect. Um, one thing I like is that the villains in this film, despite how large Stallone and Russell loom, it's it's David Lopan and Jack Palance in a white suit. So it's <laughs> they're up to the task. And then Brian James, of course, and, and other guys. So, you know, it's pretty fantastic that, you know, the villains aren't lame-o. Um, we get the shopping cart with the homeless woman in this. Again, another convention of, of the cinema of the time. Uh, we get breasts. You know, it just it's it's really got everything. I think they were really... It is a self-aware film. It's 89, like you said, Brian. It's at the end of that cycle of... of uh, not at the end, but the end of the 80s action, uh, to be sure. Yeah. Um, there was one thing I wish they had have done. It would have just... It would have honestly bumped this movie up another point for me because it would have harkened back to one of my favorite Stallone what-the-fuck moments. It's when uh, Cash... <laughs> Gabe Cash comes into uh, the precinct and he's changing his shirt... He grabs a slice of pizza, and the note I have is, what, no scissors? <laughs> I, I would have loved if they, if they called back to Cobra and had him cut the pizza. It would have been just fantastic. Um, even, like, he, op he opens his drawer, and he's got, like, 500 lollipops in there. I don't know if that was just kind of a, a poke at Kojak or, or what it was, but, you know, it uh, just really funny stuff. Um, you know, Russell's car was way too nice in this movie. It was like a vintage, he had like a vintage Corvette or something. He drove in right at the intro. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. The he, kids all. He really should know. have had the 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 beater like uh, Nolte drove in in uh, forty eight hours. Yeah, I know. You would think he would have. Um, I always find it funny in eighties films that if you sat in the chair backwards, you were cool. <laughs> I think that's such a lame convention now. Like. Like, I just, I can't help but look and think, like, oh, I just kind of grimace at how, like, I'm almost embarrassed to even see it anymore. You know, but it was really, like, the cool person always did it in, in 80s films. Um, and it's used as almost like a, an interrogation device in this one. Yeah. But uh, naturally, this being an 80s action film and homoeroticism about when we get a shower scene. <laughs> you know, with, soap, with soap. And, of course, they don't even hide the fact that they look at each other's junk. 
Yeah, there's so many jokes about their about the that stuff. It's just like at a certain point, it's like, all right. There's Tri- so many cock jokes. Tripod. Tripod. Pee wee. Mighty. I mean, just on and on. They're really, you know, yeah, really, really fascinated by each other's junk in this film. Um, I do have to say, the zinging does get to be too much for me. Um, I think it just it's too much, and I don't know if it's because maybe Stallone's delivery isn't quite as good as as. Uh, as Russell's, but after a while, I'm saying, okay, guys, just less is more sometimes. Place them well instead of peppering them constantly. We get it. You're, you know, kind of bickering, uh, you know, love kind us. of love to, to – yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, I think, well, I think you're totally right. I think that's part of where my problem with the Russell character and the Sloan character comes in is it's just like it's not – it's quantity, not quality. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, it's like, ah, oh, come on. Yeah, there's just too many. I mean, if you scale it back, you know, honestly, they could have cut it back to a quarter – and really had some good ones because they lose their effect after a while where you're just kind of, it's like a meal and you're just full. It's too much. You know, you want to just have a little bit less and, and enjoy it more. Um, I think it's funny that when they get two guys this big in action that they even hearken or kind of give a nod to Arnold by calling Zadar. They say, I loved you in Conan the Barbarian. Oh, yeah, that's right. So I thought that was kind of good. Um, and even Russell, again, maybe this is me reading too much into it, but Russell in the white tank top. I mean, I always think of, you know, when you think of Russell White Tank Top, you think of Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I wonder. I wonder if he would be emulating that movie, which was such a flop in 1986, or or not. Like, what was his attitude towards that film in, in three years later? I'm curious. It's a good yeah. question. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It I don't know if it be. is. It, it certainly could be. I'm just curious. Yeah. That's, uh, who knows. But uh, this music in this film, beyond being Beverly Hills Cop Light, a lot of times it really does feel like video game music. <laughs> I mean, it really does. I, Loaf, you pointed it out last week, talking about it being very video gamey, yeah, and it the, is. The film itself is like a video game. Oh, it is. Yeah. Um, I love that, you know, beyond even the showers and everything else, there's a little wet t-shirt moment for both of them during the prison break, and, <laughs> you know, it's just it just adds to the, uh, <laughs> the homoeroticism. I mean, there. I have to say, you know, all that aside... There is a pretty spectacular slide down that wire by Kurt, or at least Kurt's stuntman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They really must have had to build some kind of drainage system for that scene with all the buckets of water they were pouring. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> it never rains that hard anywhere. Yeah, it's insane. And, yeah, it's just absolutely insane. Um, there's Zadar, the shining moment for me for him is when he wraps a chain around Stallone, and he's like, come on, doggy. Uh, fetch or speak and he's just dragging Stallone around it's kind of a good moment um, well he has a good he has a good um, ending if it were as it were yeah too. yeah I would have liked to have seen more carnage uh, or no, I agree with that. but you know it's an action movie not a horror movie um, there was a guy in this his name was Skinner he was the audio expert yes okay that actor yeah now this is this is where it's really strange. That actor, this is only people that have kids are going to know this. He plays Mr. Noodle on Elmo's World, <laughs> and my son loves Elmo. And I'm looking, I'm like, oh my god, that's Mr. Noodle. And you know, anyone who has kids will know that if they if their kid watches Elmo's World. But I couldn't help but think of Mr. Noodle, you know, because here he is in Tango and Cash. Um, yeah, we talked about uh, Terry Hatcher and how hot she was and. And how unhot her strip routine was. <laughs> um, 
There was, and here's another thing. Again, I may be reading way too much into it, but there's a moment when I think Kurt says, "Hey Elvis, what size do you wear?" And Kurt played Elvis, of course, for John Carpenter. So I, I totally missed that. That's that's a good catch. Again, I just there's there's so much meta in this film that I can't help but think anything that even might be meta is meta. You know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. But I mean, it's, um, a, it's like an it's like an '80s action greatest hits. Greatest hits, absolutely. Uh, there's the old no hold, holds barred. It's not what it looks like. Sex or non-sex scene. <laughs> this one's really taken to extreme. She's like, oh, put it in. Oh, it's almost there. Yeah. Yeah. That scene is so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> Are you so really going to be that excited when it's not even there yet? You know? Yeah. <laughs> <It's not> even- <laughs> She's like, oh, I think it's in. I think, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's uh, it's pretty funny, but I mean, the end of this film, like you said, is just insane. Rocket launchers, monster trucks, explosions. It's just yeah. insane. You know, fires. Got more bullets used than I can even imagine. I mean, so many. Um, and we get, of course, Palance with the, uh, the, the villain is in several mirrors routine. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, this film couldn't end any other way but Tango and Cash holding hands smiling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, the freeze frame, dude. You gotta love a freeze frame. Don't well, don't yeah. forget, don't forget running away and then leaping from an explosion and then holding hands above. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah it's, uh, it's that was straight out of a Simpsons episode. <laughs> oh man, but no, those are all my notes. All right, Rook, if you want to go ahead with your um, okay. I think I think for me it's got to be um, that last scene, uh, the 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 raid on the um, the compound, as it were, has got to be my make or break. Like Will said, there's just so much, and and you said too low. If there's so much stuffed into that scene, it's pretty nuts. <laughs> um, uh, MVT, ah, boy, I had a little bit of a hard time with this one. Um, I'd probably give it to Russell personally. Even though, like I said, he's a little bit too much for me. Um, or, you know, I mean, I guess I could give it to the chemistry between the two of them because they do they do bring a certain fun that I, I can't say isn't, uh, you know, something that you feel all the way through. Um, so I'll probably go with that. Um, I'm going to give it a 7.5 out of 10. I think it's a very solid, enjoyable, easy action film. And I hadn't thought about all the meta stuff that, that Will's talking about. I think that that's a valid point. I think a lot of that stuff is there. And upon my next viewing, I'll have to consider uh, giving it a little more credit for its meta as opposed to just thinking it's it's being tired in some some respects. Um, but that's that's my take. Cool. Well, it, it, that's funny. Uh, yours are exactly the same as mine. My uh, make or break is definitely the siege scene at the end. Um which is kind of late in the movie to make or break a movie, but that kind of yeah. kind of sums up the whole like ridiculousness of the movie. I, I, I always liked the uh, the jailbreak, but the the siege at the end with the crazy truck and the monster trucks and the fucking bulldozers and all, <laughs> just I mean it's everything. And, and it's like this compound is just absurd with like it's like a construction <laughs> site for a mile around it and. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really make sense where they're even driving, like why they have to drive so long to <laughs> this stupid building, and but yeah, the the minigun on the side of the truck, it's all it's all just hilarious. Um, and the I, I too, my MBT was the um, the Russell Stallone contrast. It 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 does get a little tired, but I I really like the the differences between the two, and you know, Russell I guess more than Stallone. I really loved his 
delivery of, of certain lines and such. And um, my score is a 7.75 out of 10. Um, it holds up. I probably would have given this a lot higher when I was younger, but you know, you, you, <laughs> you, see, you see, you definitely see the flaws more as you get older. But it, it still holds up for a, definitely for an action movie. It's fun for a group of people. We watched it with another couple friends of ours uh, about three or four months ago, and we all, we all had a good time with it. All right, Will. Okay, so, I, I, you know, we're all really going to be very close on everything here. Uh, again, the last set piece is the, is the what really made it for me. It summarizes everything, and just it, it's like, you know, poker, they go all in on this scene. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's just the insane. Everything is ramped up, man. The, the one-liners are coming every five seconds. I mean, everything's just turned up. To eleven, as it were. Um, MVT. I was gonna. The, sorry, well, I was gonna say you guys have seen Taken, right? The movie Taken. I still have not seen it. Yes, I've seen it. Uh, okay, well, not to give any too much away, well, but there's a scene, and I want you to when you do see Taken. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex, isn't the compound a little bit similar to the scene to the compound that he goes into at one point in the movie? Didn't it remind you of that sort of burnt out construction site? I mean. There's yeah. not as many buildings, but it's, yeah, there's a definitely. similarity there. And I can definitely see that. I don't know that. I don't know that there's that, that Tango and Cash is an influence on Taken because Taken's <laughs> like a way better movie. But anyway, well, when you watch Taken, there's a scene, and I'm curious what you'll think of it. That's got to be something. I don't know. No, anyway, just, sorry. I didn't, no, didn't no, 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 no need for apologies. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely keep an eye open for that. Um, MVT is just a pairing of Russell and Stone, two iconic actors uh, from the 80s and the 70s and, and even the 60s for Russell for that, my late 60s. But um, yeah, so uh, my score for the film is a 7.25 out of 10. Um, yeah, I would have given this a higher score when I was younger. I, like I said, the one-liner thing, and I get it, they're, they're just you know oil and water, I get it, but I think they, they, they pound that home a little too much to the point where it does get grating for me. Um, but on the whole, I mean, it's a fun movie. You know, I think anyone who enjoys the type of cinema we like um, can certainly do a lot worse uh, than seeing these two icons look at each other's cocks and <laughs> dance. <laughs> Dude, I was just going to say, I can't believe I didn't mention Lethal Weapon in my opening summary of uh, buddy cop movies because that's almost the quintessential buddy cop movie. It is. Yeah, it I, definitely. I neglected to mention that, so i got to say, like, that's definitely another movie that they're maybe meta making fun of. Or something. I don't know. Oh yeah. Well, Kurt Russell has like the Mel kind of, you know, look. <laughs> Certainly. So. <laughs> anyway. But uh, yeah. So there you go. Pretty even, Stephen, across the board. All of us. I mean, three guys. Our score is very, you know, by half a point between all three of us. So there you have it. Uh, we're gonna take one more break, and we're gonna come back with some feedback. Sound good, guys? Sounds, Sounds great. great. Let's do it. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really it's isn't. not visually striking. No. I'm just, just getting confirmation. It's just in That's the third time, though. I mean, am I, is this on? You can find us at chinstrokerversuspenter.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. If you could fuck any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. He, he wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep a secret.
segment here we got thankfully lots of feedback this week which is great you guys really came through um truthfully for uh, our two friends here uh, two esteemed colleagues two members of the gentleman's guide uh men that i like to call the the classiest men with the largest urethras in the history of mankind <laughs> a little, a little off. they're both the size of uh water bottle caps uh, that's a little inside joke uh, <laughs> like a garden hose they're a garden hose <laughs> Exactly. But uh, the human shower head and the human garden hose are back. <laughs> Did I say garden shed? Uh, garden I, I don't know. <laughs> this is devolving rather quickly. Uh, so we got some email that we're going to get into right now. Uh, Bride, you want to start with the ones you have? I think the first one <clears throat> the metal one himself. Indeed, the metal one. Sure. Let me give this a read here. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> Dear Large William, in absentium, uh, Samaric and Demolition Piccoloaf. Yeah, it's been a while since you heard from me, but when life kind of gets you down for a few weeks, your motivation to leave feedback shows that shows that still uh, get you through the day and with some grins and giggles isn't exactly easy. But hey, I'm back again, and I decided to uh, come back during probably one of your more interesting show pairings. Um, now, I don't speak of the guest host because Piccolo filled in more, more than excellently. I mean in terms of the review c- content. Admittedly, while uh, I'm wild about the Coen brothers, I shamefully have not seen Blood Simple, but I think your review steered me towards checking it out. And as crazy as it sounds, it was Loaf's uh, comparison to Bo Bo Bo. It's an anime. <laughs> <laughs> that really made me super excited uh, to uh, want to try out Funky Forest First Contact. I think uh, I'm still in, in a crazy Japanese film mood after having been, having seen a theatrical showing of House two days ago, uh, two days in a row, about a week and a half ago. Well, that's cool. Two days in a row. Super I'm cool. Super, love that movie. Um, uh, two more notes uh, on this. Let's see here. Two more notes on this message to go on. One being that I don't think the loaf should feel too bad about not exactly loving John Woo's The Killer. I've only seen it twice, and while I like it, I I can say that from that period of Wu's filmmaking, you really can't top, you can't really top Hard Boiled. And I just love the fact that a local bookstore not only was selling what appears to be a decent looking Policia 5 movie pack, but also pricing it at nearly a dollar per movie in a $6 set. <laughs> um, sadly, there's only one Franco Nero movie listed in the set, and I see no Henry Silva in any of the film's credits. 
Um, <laughs> oh well, no one said it would it would be a perfect world. Anyway, hope all is well with the GGTMC in general. I'll get back with you soon. Sincerely, Metal Mikey. Okay, so as Bride takes a drink of water, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Mikey, thank you as always for the the kind words. Uh, I don't think you've gotten to the 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 Rupert episodes yet, which is why you didn't mention him, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, you can't really top hard weld. Again, there's heavy melodrama. You have to kind of be aware of that because it can bring it down if you're not aware. Um, let me know what those films are in that uh, Polizia film pack because I can let you know which ones are good or not. Um, I'm, I'm pretty no. sure I have that one. I think he's talking about the – it's called the crime – it's called Crime Boss is the set and Telly Savalas is on the cover, if that's what I'm thinking oh, of. It's like I have that set too. I don't remember what song. Is it any good? I don't it's not bad, it. if I remember correctly. I think it has Confessions of a Police Captain, doesn't it, maybe? Oh, and that's got Martin Balsam in it. That's think, a fantastic uh, fucking movie. Dude, Lars Nilsson played that at Weird Wednesday no. only like a month ago. I love that movie. It's it's my favorite Martin Balsam role. Oh, wow. Nice. I fucking love that movie. Damiano Damiani, man. Great stuff. Oh, yeah, you talked about him. That's great. Yeah, it's Here a fantastic film. But, uh, yeah, Loaf, uh, Brian? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a bigger fan of Hard Boiled. I'm not a huge killer fan myself. Um, I hope I hope uh, Mikey does check out uh, Blood Simple. Uh, I think he'll he'll dig it. It's it's a really solid film. I agree. Um, but that police that police pack sounds pretty awesome. We gotta check that out. You can get it on Amazon for like five bucks too. So look up Crime Boss. There's actually a few. There's a there's a, there's a western one. Um, I think Nero might be even be on the cover of that one. I don't even know what the quality looks like, honestly. I bought it and then kind of filed it away and haven't gone back to it yet. So. Yeah, I was curious if they were even widescreen or what. But that's I'm, I'm not even sure. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Th- well, for me, thanks, uh, thanks, Mikey, for the the feedback. Um, yes, I, I do think if you if you're into Boba Bo, you'll enjoy Funky Forest. They're both very random and. Um, and definitely, uh, definitely check out Blood Simple if you haven't already by by the time you hear this. Um, oh yeah, and, and as for the killer, it's like maybe it's one of those movies I just need to see at a different like in a different state of mind. I don't know. Like maybe I just wasn't in the mood for it. But when there weren't guns on the scene, I could care less. I was very bored, so it, it might have just been a, an off day or whatever. But anyway. No, I'm with you, man. I'm telling you, it's it's not my favorite. Yeah. So. Okay, so uh, next one, I believe, is a is a short one. It's from Mark. Uh, is that correct, Brett? Yes. Mark says, um, "Hi, what's the slice of funky soul used at 17:30 on the Simply Funky episode of the podcast? Have to track it down. Thanks in advance. Cheers, Mike." Mark, uh, yes. Oh, Mark, I'm sorry. Excuse me. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, that was the great Mask Man and Agents One Eye Open. Uh, it's on YouTube. You can always convert it if you can't find it. Hopefully, it's on iTunes. But Mask Man and Agent are a little bit rarer. Uh, I think they're from the Baltimore, Washington area. Um, again, uh, Larry over at Funky Sixteen Corners turned me on to them with um, what is it called? Wife, Wife, Cat, Dog, which is another great track by them. So. Uh, look it up. Great group. He's got a great voice. He kind of has like that Wilson Pickett kind of really scratchy kind of you know voice. So that's the uh, that's the track you were looking for. Hope that helps. Cool. All right. I'll next, take, I'll take that next email. We have one from Jeff from Kalamazoo, Michigan. It says, "Hey guys, long time listener, first time writer. I was wondering if you could tell me when 
I think it's supposed to say where I could find the doc Fallen Angels. I heard you say you watched it and can't find it on Netflix or anywhere for that matter. I love the show. Keep up the great work. Jeff from Kalamazoo. Okay. Um, you know what, uh, Jeff, maybe shoot me an email um, again uh, about that show or get a hold of us and I'll, I'll tell you off the air. Uh, I, I, admittedly, I, I had to download it, so... Um, I couldn't find it anywhere either, so I don't think it's it's in print or anything like that. So, yeah, get a hold of me off the air again, and I'll uh, be happy to. You know, I'll keep this in the inbox, and I'll try to forward this to you. But if you haven't heard from me in a week or two, then then I'll get back to you. Cool. Well, uh, the last email we have um, is from Jamie. Is that is that uh, dangerous, Jamie? By chance? Yes, it is. Yes. All right. It says Sammy who. Yo, gents. <laughs> I have a few things to say about the recent episodes. I'll try and keep it short, but I can't promise anything. Also, I sent this as an email because I was convinced I couldn't keep it under three minutes. Firstly, I have to take issue with Mr. Loaf. I've spent the last <laughs> few weeks working in a factory, and it gets pretty loud. Your gilded vocal cords may work wonders when charming the wife, but I just can't hear your silky smooth voice over the foundry noise. I dig it if you could be a touch louder. This is my only criticism of the show ever. Roop, I'm digging your interviews like nobody's business. I've made a mental note of every reference book I don't already own. Tracking down that Overlook Encyclopedia of Horror was difficult, and I've yet to find it for a price that I, I can pay. I'll keep an eye out for it, though. I'm sure I can speak for everyone when I say that we miss the samurai, but the three of you make a stellar team. Congrats once again, Sammy. Really dug the interview, or sorry, the review of Intrepidos Punks. I freaking love that movie. Also, the Spanish intro on that show has inspired something that will take at least a year to come to fruition. Cryptic, ooh. The Miss 45 review prompted me to try to find a decent copy of it for a reasonable price as my VHS got lost in the many moves I've done over the years. I never jettisoned the collection, but it just seemed to get smaller and smaller until I had nothing left. A real shame as I had some real gems in there. I bought the first VHS in a long time last week. I picked up The Sisterhood, a.k.a. The Ladies Club, for 25 pence. What, I don't know what that yeah, is. Yeah, I think that's Pence, yeah. On a big box VHS. I watched it in the hopes that it would tide me over until I can justify spending like 30 pounds on Miss 45. It wasn't anywhere near as good as I remembered. It was three strides away from a Lifetime movie, but still kind of good. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I'll, I think I'll watch anything with Bruce Davidson in it. Does he, does he clock up the most appearances in Rape Revenge flicks? He just might. But anyway, to the meat... I wanted to get used guys' opinion on a movie I watched last week. It's called X312 Flight to Hell, directed by none other than the illustrious purveyor, or purveyor, get it, of Eurospeed's <laughs> Jess Franco. I really dug it. Probably my favorite Franco film, despite the attendant look... Sorry. Despite the attendant look like a mix... I'm not sure what that means. The attendants look like a mix of the Bronson. Like maybe the flight, the flight attendant. Okay, the the attendant maybe. Okay, the flight attendant looks like a mix of the Bronson Deep Roy and a Ziploc bag filled with white rice pudding. <laughs> it was a pretty ex it was pretty exciting, and the ladies were actually attractive, especially the perky American quote unquote American. It was a co it was cohesive enough and paced really well, apart from a few bumps like the ridiculous pairing of the Yank Babe and the attendant. 
or the frolicking intense orgasm or sorry frolicking slash intense orgasm slash demonic possession in the steam in the street scene. <laughs> it works as an exciting ish caper thriller and wasn't just another slice of Franco's trademark Euro trash. I was pr- pretty confused by the language. Everywhere I've looked seemed to point at German being the original language, but it's clearly dubbed from another language and then sub- subtitled in English. Bizarre. So anyway, what are your takes on the movie? Do you have a favorite Jess Franco movie? Does any does such a thing even exist? Let it be said that you're <laughs> all gentlemen, but never gentlemen. Adios, Jamie. <laughs> nice. Um, um, go ahead, Brian. No, no, you go ahead. Um, okay, so... I'm not a big Jess Franco fan. I think I've said it on the show before. I think his stuff often looks better in terms of the titles of his films and the stills from his films. Um, I've only maybe seen five of his films, and considering he's made about a hundred and something, uh, you know, that's really not that many. I know Hans and a few other people are really big fans of his. Um, I'm meaning to see some of his um, Women in Prison films he did early on that. Like get a lot of acclaim. I'd say probably the one I like best is uh, Vampiros Lesbos. Uh, other than that, the ones I've seen, he's a guy that shows flashes of brilliance, but otherwise it just kind of inept meandering. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of nudity and stuff, but it just, I don't know. It, he wears thin with me pretty quick. Uh, what about you guys? Um, I haven't seen enough of his stuff. I've seen Vampiros Lesbos, but that might be maybe one of the only ones I've seen. I'm looking at his filmography here. I'm definitely aware of him. Um. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I, I is did he do barb barbed wire dolls? He might have. I were. That's one I want to see. I think that's one of his women in prison movies. I've heard Sex is Crazy is is pretty good, um, but I haven't seen that. Um, but I've definitely not seen the one that Jamie's talking about in this email. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't have an opinion on that one, sadly. I yeah. Well, I don't. I don't either. I, uh... I don't know that I've seen any of his movies. Vampiris Lesbos I've had on DVD for probably a couple of years and have yet to watch it, mainly because of opinions like Will saying that he's kind of boring, so it's, I've never been in a real rush. Um, there's a chance that I've seen his uh, his Emmanuel film from the 70s, because oh, I've yeah. seen quite a few of those, but other than that, I, I, I was going through his list and nothing really looked all that familiar. The the yeah. the X three twelve that he mentioned Flight to Hell is from nineteen seventy one so yeah I might try I think I might track it down if Jamie really dug it then I, and it sounds pretty pretty interesting but then that's the thing his films always sound really great and then you see them and they're just they're just not quite there but I'll I'll give him another chance and Jamie you've just thrust this film on as uh, you know one last uh, the, the the hail mary as it were to use a, uh, an American football term uh, in in Franco's career for me so. We'll see how it goes. I was just going to say one thing real quick. He mentions Bruce Davison, and I really like Bruce Davison a lot. Yeah, me too. Um, especially from <clears throat> his early 70s stuff, like Mother Jugs and Speed. I think he's really good in that. And um, uh, Last Summer, uh, that's a really interesting Frank Perry movie. I think that's him in it. Yeah. Is that Frank Perry? Yes. Wait. Maybe that's Maybe I'm thinking of a different Last Summer. Uh, anyway, maybe he's not in that. But um, I've always wanted to see Short Eyes, which is his prison pedophile dude kind of movie. He Davison looks like a pedophile. He hardly has any eyebrows, or they're very blonde. <laughs> yeah. So I've always wanted. Oh, he was in Last Summer, Frank Perry's Last Summer. Yeah, that was his first movie. That's a really interesting dark film for if you guys haven't seen it. It's not on DVD yet, but 
Um, but a Frank Perry movie, the guy that directed um, Rancho Deluxe and The Swimmer and you know some other cool stuff. I'm Did, a big Frank Perry fan. You said Last Summer? Yeah, Last Summer is the name of the movie, yeah. Interesting. Um, but uh, anyway, <clears throat> yeah, that's all I got. Okay. So, um, wow, I know how many runs you scored last summer. That's not it, and that sounds terrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jeez. <clears throat> uh, okay, so I think that's everything for... For email. Oh, no, was there, was there... Oh, no, that was it. Yeah, that was it. So, okay, keep them coming, guys. And uh, I guess we'll get into voicemail. I just wanted to call and say that I love The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Back in the 70s, when I was making Tulane Blacktop, having sex with Carly Simon, and rocking some cool jams and some even cool sweaters, I always wished that there would be something as cool, as groovy, is a gentleman's guide to midnight cinema. And now, I get to hear Large William, Samurai, and all the other cool cats talk about movies, stuff that they've watched, and all kinds of other groovy things. James Taylor. There is a young cowboy. He lives on the range. His horse and his cattle are his only companion. He works in the saddle and sleeps in the canyon, waiting for summers, his pastures to change. And rock a by sweet baby James And rock a by Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema Oh yeah Rock a by Sweet Baby James Okay, so we just heard from uh, James Taylor uh or Zom. <laughs> Um, and I have to ask Mr. Taylor if he's friends with Larry Bishop because we haven't heard from Larry in a while and I'd love to hear from Larry. So, um, thanks, uh, thanks for the words, uh, of course, James, James Zom, uh, and, and you, as always, you do have a great singing voice. Yeah, yeah. it was really nice to hear from James Taylor, a little serenade and I gotta say I'm a huge Tulane Blacktop fan. I have the poster in my house. Cool. Is yeah, like, James Taylor's junk showing in it? Or? I don't believe so. <laughs> I don't think there's any junk showing. I think it's been a while since you guys have gotten a singing telegram from the Zom, huh? Yeah, it's it's thankfully it's back. I like, I like how his phone static sounded like a vinyl record popping. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. Um, oh, I, I wanted to go back real quick to uh, Jamie's email from before. I, I'm sorry I didn't uh, say anything about it. My The voice thing. There's two, it's twofold. One, it's a shitty mic. <laughs> this is a, it's, it's not the best mic in the world. And two, um, I, I, since we record early in the morning, I have a very small house, and I have to be very aware of not waking up the misses. So that would be why. I probably get louder as the show goes on as I realize she's awake. So Anyway, but back to the voicemail. Thanks, Zom, for the song. That was great. 
Yes, indeed. Okay, so uh, we're on to the next voicemail. Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Well, this is Dr. Zom. I'm sitting here, and I'm digesting. And, brother, let me tell you something, Daddy. I'm stuffed. I'm gorged. I'm bloated. And I haven't even had anything to eat. Now, you may ask yourself, what's Dr. Zom talking about? What is he ever talking about? But I'm going to tell you something. I just got done listening to the newest show that was on the uh, interweb, piped through the pneumatic tubes to Zom's lair. And I just bit me off a giant chunk of pickle loaf. Served up on a silver platter by Rupert Pupkin. And I got to tell you something right now. It's sitting in my stomach like a giant freaking brick. (coughs) You guys are like a buffet of knowledge. And uh, I got to warn the other listeners listening to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Might be a little hazardous to your health. Might want to take a little uh, something to soften the stool because it's a big, big chunk. Big chunk. I might have a, might have to go back right now for a little extra. Just slap some butter you know, on that ass. Fucking uh, dive right in. Okay, so this time it was it was not the Taylor, it was the Zom. Mama. Of course, talking about the pneumatic tubes, and it's it's. I'm surprised the chunk of um, pickle loaf didn't get stuck in one of those tubes. <laughs> uh, and speaking of stuck in tubes, he mentions, of course, stool softeners and butter on ass. That was that was a a, a voicemail full of wind and highlights and food. Strangely, <laughs> yeah. For any new listeners, uh, that this will be uh, encouragement to follow through the entire. Um, feedback section because you know, <laughs> the Zom brings some, some some classics like that very often. Yes, indeed. I love the buffet comparison. That was very kind of him. <laughs> and, and as usual, the Zom was very gassy. <laughs> He's always peeing or farting or pooping or burping or something. He's a very bodily function-y kind of guy. <laughs> You can hear uh, you can hear Robert Plant Jr. in the back. <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Uh, okay, so anything to add to that, Brian? No, no. Okay. I just love the buffet. <laughs> okay, next uh, next voicemail. What's up, gentlemen? This is Zeke from California, and I am a longtime listener. This is my first call. Usually I don't uh, call because you guys do such an awesome job of covering everything about the movies that uh, there's no real point in me calling in. But I just wanted to uh, commend you guys on, on uh, continuing strong, even uh, with the samurai being gone and Loaf and uh, Rupert are doing a hell of a job. And, uh, yeah, so... That is it. I've also really been enjoying um, Rupert's interviews, which have been really cool. Uh, so that is it, and I will talk to you later. Okay, so that's Zeke, who uh, I know is on Twitter a lot. I don't know if he's on Facebook, um, and I know you guys uh, talk to him a fair bit. Um, I'm really happy to hear from him. Um, I know he's been a listener for a while, and I think we're going to get an interview with him uh, for some creative endeavors he's involved with. Um, I, I personally want to thank him for the kind words about Rupe and Loaf. Um, you know, it means a lot to me. It means as much to me as it does to them because these guys have, have stepped in and, and really knocked out of the park uh, for everyone. So, yeah, and also, of course, you know, uh, Roop's interviews are fantastic. So, I, I really appreciate the compliments very much. Uh, I'm glad he's liking them, and we have more in the pipe. So there will hopefully be some coming in the coming weeks. Um, what's you said he's on he's on Twitter? Do you you don't know what isn't his, he? I'm gonna guess because I don't think Zeke's a very common. Isn't he Zeke Pinahiro or Pinero? Okay, I'm gonna look that up. So I, I think I, I, I'm probably not. I'm, I apologize if I'm butchering it, but you said we have more interviews in the pipes. I would say we have more interviews in the pneumatic tubes. But uh. <laughs> yes, indeed we do. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for that for that voicemail, Zeke. I appreciate it. Okay, so um. Next voicemail. Listen here, Daddy. This is the American Dream. Christian Takasum coming from Syracuse. I just wanted to say you guys are doing a hell of a job, Daddy. That's a, that's a fucking awful Dusty Rhodes impersonation. Sorry, guys. Just wanted to call in and say uh, I'm enjoying all the all the shit that you guys are putting out. Groups, interviews, all three of you guys right now doing seems like extra double duty work because it seemed really quick the turnaround between the last two episodes <coughs> you guys gave me a whole day's worth of uh, on and off listening so I appreciate all the shit that you guys are doing and uh, thanks Loaf for pointing me in a direction of uh, finding Intrepidos Punks I'll be watching it shortly I scanned through it quickly and I noticed some of the Excellent lucha moving, excellent lucha action. So it should be a fun, worthwhile watch, and it looks like an instant pleasy classic for myself. All right, guys, have a good one. Adios. Okay, so there you had it, the American Dream, Christian Thigerson. Uh Him and him and uh, <laughs> him and uh, Azam have to do dueling dusties in a. <laughs> In a voicemail one time, but I was going to say Zom might Zom might uh, attack him with a chair for treading on his dusty territory. Yeah. <laughs> Give him a back rake. <laughs> yeah, Christian Christian may need to stay with the uh, with the northern territories and leave uh, leave the mid south Florida regions well, to, to dusty he, Zom. He's a Syracuse boy. He needs to come up with a good Mike Rotunda. <laughs> yeah, Canada's greatest athlete. Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> 
So yeah, uh, again, thank you. Uh, you know, for the it is a team effort uh, with these guys, and and I really love them. I'm happy they're on board. Um, and again, you know, groups uh, interviews, people love them, and and we're glad you dig them too. Uh, um, Christian, I was going to call you Dusty. <laughs> no, I I can't thank you know Christian enough. I, it's very heartwarming to hear people are liking them so much. And I have to agree. He didn't he said something about. Um, about in, Intrepidos, was it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Instant sleazy classic, I have to agree. Oh, yeah. That it is. So, thanks, Christian. Absolutely. Yes. Okay, uh, next voicemail. Voicemail. Yes. Voicemail. Uh, voicemail. <laughs> From a potentially familiar voice. The gentleman's guide. It's like a man's explosion in your melon. Well, that sounded a lot like Mr. Cherry. Um, speaking of Mr. Cherry, we haven't heard from, of course, uh, his owner, as it were, um, Scorn Mandible. But now the interesting thing here is we hear from a different Australian saying the same explosion in your melon phrase, which really allows the plot to thicken. So We, we, might, yeah, have a was... new, we might have a new mister on our hands. Mr. Mister. <laughs> yes. He's Mr. Orange or Mr. Banana. <laughs> yes. Mr. Apricot. I don't know. Let us know, uh, if you're not Mr. Cherry, who you are, uh, Mr. Roboto. But I, I think I think that would be a good um, GGTMC promo right there. That's all oh, you yeah. need. I thought about keeping that, too. I think I'm going to keep that and try to work that into something. So thank you, um from your robotic heart. To come <laughs> Thank you. Next uh, next voicemail. Hey, James and Emily. Um, and the Loaf have been doing fantastic, and that's mostly what I was calling. Um, my train's going pretty quick, but the only other thing I was going to add was John Waters. Yes, has great film taste, and three of his films that he does, or you know, he does commentary on um, Christmas Evil, which is a great little underrated weird film, uh, and Mommy Dearest, and his commentary is like genuinely honest and positive. Which is really refreshing, and um, I don't think he does a commentary, but he loves the movie Factor as do I, and it's great. And that just tells you how great John Waters is. Goodbye, train here. Sorry, plus. Okay, so that of course, great, great friend of the show, Emily, uh, Deadly Dolls host Emily. Um, just want to let her know as an aside, uh, something I'll be mentioning here every week from this point out. Um, I'm going to Horrorhound Weekend in Cincinnati in November. Uh, I could care less respectfully about the celebrities that are there, but I think a bunch of us are going. Uh, Dylan and Christine from Pear Cinema, Sammy's going to be there. Um, uh, just a ton of people are going to be there. Um, so it's going to be a really nice get-together with all of us to get together, have a few drinks, uh, eat some chili and hot dogs and in the Queen City, I think is what Cincinnati is known as. So uh, it's going to be a good time. But as for... Um, her voicemail talk about un- cool under pressure the train's coming she's in the <laughs> bronx she's spitting out knowledge about um christmas evil and how fantastic it is and i agree with her and waters is fantastic and uh yes of course you know i'm glad you dig these two gentlemen because i dig these two gentlemen yeah i just want to say thank you very much to emily for that and uh, i did not know about the christmas evil commentary i must check that out i really must the, the Synapse DVD of Christmas Evil has a pretty funny illustrated cover of Santa Claus with a Bloody Knife. Yeah, nice. I know that one. It's a nice uh, cover. I always love when Emily's phone gets attacked by the amplified skyscraper wind in New York. 
<laughs> so many times I've heard her get swallowed up by wind before she's like, ah, I give up, bye. <laughs> but so thank, thank you for that, Emily. And uh, Yes, thank you. The next one is from Michael. Gentlemen, this is Michael A., formerly Yakuza Meshuggah, but... You know, and I'm just going to drop that ridiculous handle and uh, go with my regular name, which is a little bit more pronounceable. Um, I know this feedback's long overdue. Um, doesn't mean I don't love you. You know I do. Um, what I don't love is hearing my voice come over my iPod, but I'll try to get used to that. Anyway, I want to start off by congratulating uh, all of you on some excellent shows uh, lately. Um, Rupert, Loaf, you guys are doing a uh, bang-up job. Um, you're, you're definitely a welcome addition to the show, and I love you. Um, Rupert, uh, the supplement shows are fantastic, um, just uh, always fascinating and um I, those are the shows, those, those kind of shows I just really have to listen to and take notes to uh, the, the whole time through. So um, keep it up. And, um, and Willie, um, you're doing a great job keeping this whole thing going, and I love you, man. And um, the shows themselves have been um, awesome. Um, I like... Uh, by throwing a 30s comedy into the mix. Um, that was great. Um, great film, by the way, anyway. And um, I hope you continue to do that once in a while and uh, keep those bizarre, obscure, hard-to-find films coming as well. Uh, that Mexican punk film, uh, I don't know. I don't know where I'll find it, but I'm just, i am got to see it. Uh, so I love that stuff, so keep that coming. Um, so anyway, I uh, just wanted to say, keep it up guys. Um, I appreciate it. Uh, you make my weeks a little better and, um, I just want <clears throat> to give a shout out to Sammy, uh, once again and congratulate him, his wife and their new son Landon. And I hope all is well and, uh, I miss you, man. Hope to hear from you soon. Anyway, got to go. You'll hear from me soon. Adios. Okay, so Michael has ditched the Yakuza Meshuga, uh name, and that's fine. Whatever works for you. Uh, your voice is fine. Don't worry about that. Everyone seems to be self-conscious about their voice. Your voice is perfectly fine. Um, again, I'm just I'm really happy people are digging the interviews group does because, you know, um, they're they're just great, a and I'm, I find myself writing down stuff like Ferdinand's and movie books and, <laughs> and a lot of super cool stuff. Uh, it's really great to hear people with a passion that we all have. Um, you know, like Dennis last week. I mean, just spitting knowledge. I mean, just fantastic stuff. And you know, as far as keeping the show going, I mean, this is our baby, and I love doing this show. Uh, you know, it's one of my favorite things to do in the world um, because of all the the benefits you get from friendship, uh, film knowledge. It's, it just it just so many benefits. Um, you know, and I love film, and I love the show, and I love you all too much uh, to to let it stop. Um, so, yeah, and uh, you know, we're gonna keep the Intrepidos punk stuff coming. So, you know, that type of film, that's that's what we're all about. We're being classed the trash, as we say. So, we'll keep <laughs> we'll have more sleaze uh, down the pipes very soon. Yeah, I couldn't. I'm, I'm getting 
emotional here. It's it's really really touching to me how many people are are responding to the interviews and stuff like that. I uh, that's really neat to me. Uh, so I'm, I hope they'll continue to like the ones that are going to be coming in the next month or two. Um, and I thought it was really cool that um, that he mentioned the 30s comedy. Obviously, he's talking about It's a Gift and and how interesting it was to have that in the mix. I'm glad that that went over well. I hope other people enjoyed that review and having that in the mix. Because I'd love to, in whatever part I continue to play in the show after Sammy's Return, I'd love to at some point bring more 30s comedies from you know Preston Sturges or Howard Hawks or Leo McCary uh, onto the show because I love to hear what, what you guys think of the sh- those movies. I think they're really interesting. And I think the listeners could get a kick out of a lot of them too. Oh, for sure they could. I think that's the great thing is that wrinkle that you bring is, and you know, and Loaf also has as well, is is just, you know, that's, that's and then I know Sammy knows about those films. I'm not as experienced with them. And it's just that great thing when you get all of us together, it just broadens our horizons. And I think that's the great thing about our listeners is that our listeners are film lovers, regardless of genre, except maybe romantic comedies, of course. Um, <laughs> you know, we all love films. So if that means 30s comedy or 80s rape revenge, um so what? It just—it's the love of film. So sorry, I'll, I jumped in there. Lo, follow you. No, sorry. you're fine. I, I, and Michael, I don't really like my voice either. So uh, it took a, it took a long time for me to get the balls up to even get on the podcast. So Will has been asking me to at least do a guest spot for a few months. So oh yeah. Um, it it, it just—you get used to it, and plus it helps to not really go back and listen to your stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, well, thanks for the voice. Oh, and, and contact one of us about uh, Intrepidos Punks if you're having trouble finding it, because I know it's a, kind of a bitch. So. Yes. Uh, okay, so next voicemail uh, is one of four from uh, a good friend down under. Good morning, gentlemen. It's Ben from Cine Coltania. Uh, finally catching up on episodes. I am way, way behind. Life has been super crazy last two weeks I've been working at the Tim Burton exhibition at Acme and it's been school holidays and we've had something like 47,000 people through in two weeks alone. It is fucking crazy. But the exhibition is amazing. Uh, Apparently it's going to Toronto after this, so I think in November. So William, definitely check it out. I'm not the biggest fan of Tim Burton's recent stuff, but this is an amazing exhibition. Um, there's stuff from when he was a kid. It's uh, like lots of his lots of his paintings and drawings and sculpture work. Anyway, finally catching up. Just started watching the episode. It's funny because the last exhibition I worked at was the Dennis Hopper exhibition, and you're doing a Dennis Hopper week. I haven't actually listened to what you got to say yet, so perhaps I'll call back later. But I was fortunate enough to see the last movie in the cinemas uh, because of the exhibition, and it got to the end of the film, and there was still dead silence in the cinema and then you could hear people around you going what the fuck was that fuck that man you know getting angry at the film and I just cracked up I started giggling really loudly because yeah 40 years on it was still just my friend who I saw with described it as a suicide note to his career it's like how could Hopper believe yeah well it was the last movie for him almost um, anyway, uh, I just wanted to say, uh, William said he saw Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. I'm really hanging out to see this because I've just read the books, all three, in like one week, and they are amazing. They're just some of the best fiction books I've read in a long time. But the Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, as we're seeing it internationally, is actually shorn of about 
40 minutes because all three were originally made for television as like a nine, oh, 10 hour miniseries, nine hour miniseries. Um, and the cinema version's missing like a chunk. So I'm trying to acquire uh, full length copies at the moment and I'm really curious to see what they're like. Um, there was something else, but I've gone blank, so I will leave it at that, guys. Uh, hopefully Alex and I will be seeing Animal Kingdom, the new Australian crime film, on Monday. And we'll be hopefully putting out a podcast sometime soon. And then I'll be working at the film festival, and hopefully we'll have some reports from there. So take it easy, guys. Good to be back. See ya. Okay, Ben. Firstly, on a personal note, uh, I know you've you've had a bit of a bummer week or two. Um, I couldn't help but notice. I jumped over to Twitter to check something. Because I still kind of creep around there a little bit, see what's going on with anyone when I have time. I just don't have much time to respond to stuff on the spot. Because then I get kind of sucked into four-hour-long conversations with everyone. It's very easy to do there. So uh, on a personal note, Ben, I hope you're feeling better, uh, truly. Um, and as for that Tim Burton exhibition in Toronto, good looking out, man. I'll definitely check that out. And and uh, depending on, on what's involved there, I'd like to take my son. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. Um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo... It's, it's good, not great. As I said, I'm glad that I'm not the only one that felt that way. Uh, I know other people on this show even, um, liked it more than I did. Animal Kingdom is probably one of my top five most anticipated movies uh, of the of this year. I'm really stoked to see this. I love Guy Pearce. Um, and when you do MIF or whatever festival it is you do, yeah, we definitely want to report back. So uh, let us know. Uh, Ben's voice makes me think of uh, Dr. Chase on The Show House. <laughs> they sound they sound similar. I guess it's just the accent. Me being a me being a uneducated American, but I, <laughs> I, I hear I hear Doctor Chase. So um, yeah, I, I liked I liked do girls a dragon tattoo a lot. I'm I'm really I'm kind of surprised to find that learn that it was made for TV. I don't I mean yeah. that would be crazy to see like the ten hour version of it. Um, I've not, I've still not seen it. I'm bummed out. I haven't seen that or last movie, so I'm left out of this. I gotta get on those. And uh, but yeah, I mean, I liked it a lot, and uh, I know that fake Shemp Jay, he uh, he hated it. So he said it was very boring. Dragon Tattoo. Yeah, it's it's very by the numbers, I think, but it's 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 good by the numbers, but it's nothing earth shattering for me. But yeah, thanks for the voicemail, Ben. Yes, thank you, and we're gonna hear Ben's voice here in just another moment. Morning again, gents. It's Ben here. Uh, just slowly working through the episode. Got to quickly call up two points. Um, it's find really interesting you know, the theory behind last movie of that the Western infiltration of you know of different uh, not so capitalized societies. Uh, the problem I had when working in the Hopper exhibition was that yes, he's an amazing, fascinating person who was so influential and connected to so many like transformative moments in history but he was also a fucking asshole um and a drunk and a drugged up just nutter like some of the stories are just horrifying and the main reason they shot in peru was because it was the cocaine capital of the world at the time um that's partly why peter fonda appears in the film for two seconds because he just rocked up to buy a lot of drugs and go back home then there's a number of people who appear in it solely for that reason so it's like the film is so torn between the different polarities, um, and I think that's one of the reasons that keeps it from being something as delirious as a Jodorowsky film, 
it's just interesting you brought him up because I've heard two different stories. One that Hopper actually brought Jodorowsky in to edit the film. Uh, Jodorowsky did that and Hopper wasn't happy with it and then finished the edit himself. The other story I heard was that he actually cut a straightforward narrative film, one that was very simple and he can kind of still see that film in there. When he showed it to his friend Jodorowsky, Jodorowsky called him a chicken and said he'd given in and make a studio film. So Hopper went away and cut it to shit and turned it into the film it now is. Either story explains a lot. <laughs> so it, it really is a film that feels like it's torn between those two parts of the Hopper of the studio system and the Hopper of the Jodorowsky drug-inspired madness. So, yeah, it's worth considering this, these various aspects when watching the film. Anyway, cheers. Bye. Okay, so yes, uh, it's funny you mentioned about Hopper being an asshole because Zom and I were talking about this off the air, what, a, what an asshole he was, um, which is a shame. I, I find as I get older, you know, it, that's just kind of timely talking about celebrity assholes uh, with Mel Gibson. It just, I cannot believe, you know, the shit that guy's gotten himself into. Uh, it's just, you know, reprehensible. You have about hitting a woman and... Have you heard stuff. that that conversation, by the way, the the clip, the audio clip? Not the newest one. I heard like the first one where I can't remember. It just it's such a shame because, you know, I'm willing to overlook one or two things, minor. No, I don't want to say minor things. I don't want to diminish anything. He had said a few things uh, that I definitely didn't agree with, but I trem- admired him tremendously as an actor and a filmmaker. And because no one was physically harmed, uh, there was no rape uh, or you know sodomizing of a 13 year old while she was drugged or you know nothing else i was kind of willing to overlook a few of those things or at least separate them the man from the art um but this stuff's just it's fucking buried him and it's you know it's uh yeah but as for the film getting back to the last movie uh yeah i heard there's a jodo edit out there and i'd love to see it and i'd also like to see that straightforward edit um just to see how both of them shake out. I mean, Hopper's, you know, as much as I love Hopper, as I said in the review, he's not Jodo. Jodo's brilliant, uh, and as great as Hopper is, Jodo's on a different level. But uh, yeah, I had never, I'd never heard about that Jodo edit. That's that's pretty interesting. Kind of yeah, neither. Okay, so um, next voicemail from Benjamin. Then again, from the Nicoltania podcast. Sorry for terrorizing so much of the phone calls, but see, I did spend six months working in a Hopper exhibition, so believe me, I had a lot of time to think about this stuff. Uh, I find it really fascinating that in your discussion of the Peruvian film crew as they tend to make their own film, you don't consider uh, the possibilities of the danger of cinema, um, which is, a, I'm not suggesting that Hopper says that cinema is necessarily dangerous or that people should be not allowed it, but that cinema can have dangerous effects if it's not properly understood, maybe. Um, I know in South America it was quite common for the only way to see films was in travelling roadshows would literally just put a sheet up and project onto it in like a shed. Um, and there's no suggestion that these natives of Peru have seen fil- a film. So it's their interpretation of this act that is being performed, uh, which is the creation of the film. So I think that's a really interesting way to perceive it. Also, the reason why Nicholas Ray and Sam Fuller are an American friend is uh, that the writer-director stated that he was making a film about gangsters, and the only gangsters he knew were Hollywood directors and actors, so he cast them. Anyway, cheers, guys. 
Okay, so that was the grim one again. Uh, and he says uh, <laughs> a lot of things. Don't apologize for the voicemail, firstly. Um, and yeah, it's interesting, you know, you talk about the dangers of cinema. That that definitely can be in the play as far as commentary goes. Um, again, that's the great thing sometimes about films that are handled well, that are kind of open like that, is you can get different things from them and glean different perspectives and different takes from them. So... Yeah, uh, very interesting stuff. Uh, again, I don't know if you guys have anything to add to that because I don't know if either of you have seen the last movie yet. I have no, not. I still haven't. I was just going to say um, that's cool what he said about Nicholas Ray and Sam Fuller being the closest thing to gangsters that I guess uh, was, was he was talking about Vim Vendors that he knew. I, I think that's really interesting that those guys would be cast as for their gangsterish qualities. I like to see both of them in uh, in films i think they're interesting actors when they're in films and I, I thought it was interesting him talking about the way they show films in the small towns and stuff in in peru um i know that or at least i assume i've seen i've seen it in films but the way they they do the same thing kind of thing in india i believe where a, a film will well in other countries too i know they um what are the what are the movie posters that the, they're like lowbrow movie posters? They're painted oh, for some uh, African uh, country. Night, no, is it night? Not Nigeria. Um, is it Nigeria? It might be. And I know the ones you mean. They've been floating around the net for about the past year. Yeah, yeah, it's that it's kind a of traveling thing. road show. Yeah. yeah, that's what it is. They'll just take these like you know beat up copies of these old movies and they'll show them on a on a big sheet in a in a small village or in a little in a little like school or or something like that because these people don't have televisions or whatever or movie theaters otherwise. So. Um, I didn't want to cut either one of you off. I just heard uh, breaking news here that, that just about floored me. George Steinbrenner, owner of the Yankees, has just died. Whoa. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's big news uh, for sports fans. Uh, you know, Sammy, of course, being a Yankee fan, uh, he just had a massive heart attack. Um, Jeez. I mean, as old as he was, the guy seemed to he had a lot of fire and brimstone left in him. Um, wow. So... Yeah, uh, I won't say too much. It's not really that show. We're already running tight on time, but uh, you know, George Steinbrenner dead at 80. Uh, rest in peace, George. Wow. And uh, with that, uh, we'll get into the at the risk of sounding a little bit callous. And apologies for that. We'll get into <laughs> the next uh, the next voicemail here, which is also from the Grim One. Gentlemen's Guide to Midnight Cinema. It's like a man explosion inside your melon. Okay, before we get into this uh, voicemail, we just talked about something uh, off the air. Uh, ben, uh, I'm calling you the Grim one, and that's, of course, Grim with two M's, as in Benjamin Grimm, the lovable, uh, wisecracking rock man of the Fantastic Four. I only meant it because of you guys sharing a first name, not because of uh, a particularly downer week you're having. So apologies, that maybe wasn't the best <laughs> choice of uh, nicknames for you, the Grim one, considering everything, but that wasn't my intent. I just... Uh, I think Benjamin Grimm is super cool, and I think you're super cool, so maybe it wasn't the best choice. So just wanted to clarify that so you didn't think I was a fucking douche. <laughs> <laughs> you know, especially since you gave us the man explosion in your melon tagline, which we're going to use. Yeah, yeah, another great potential promo right there. I was I was, I was, was confused on the first one. I couldn't tell if it said man explosion or not, and this definitely uh, cleared, cleared the air. Yes, yes. Yeah, so thank you again, Ben, and apologies for the bad timing on my part. Um, we'll get another one here from a good friend of the show and uh, a man who's recently cut his teeth and uh, dropped his star-spangled parachute into the uh, fray of podcasting. That being, oh, nice. Yes, that being Mike. Uh, 
Of course. We're going to hear from Mike here in just a moment. Gentlemen. Extended gentlemen. It's Mike in Florida. Um, first up, I just wanted to say that uh, I really enjoyed having the Rupert and the Pickle Loaf on the show. As much as I missed the samurai, uh, I think these guys have done a fantastic job, and I just wanted to give a shout-out to them. And then uh, I don't even know what to say about Intrepidos Punks. Um, I watched it, and I still don't know what to make of it. I haven't seen a lot of Mexican exploitation films, um, mostly Mexican stuff I've seen, you know, like Lucha Libre films, Santo, Blue Demon, Mill Masquerist kind of stuff, or old-school Mexican horror, you know, going back to Brainiac and uh, Doctor of Doom and, you know, Robot vs. Aztec Mummy, that kind of stuff. Um, so I was really interested in it, especially from the time period. Boy, it really looked 80s, didn't it? And um, like I said, the... The women look like they stepped out of that Motley Crue video for Looks They Kill. And uh, I'd really like to see a movie made. Maybe maybe if we can get, um, you know, some people in Australia and people in Mexico to hook up, we could do like a, you know, Intrepidos Punks versus the uh, Gay Boy Berserkers and the Smegma Dogs. I think there's a movie to be made there. Obviously, we wouldn't want Mel Gibson in it, but still, something that we could make there. Um, anyway, great show, and I will talk to you guys later. Have a good one. Ciao. Okay, so that being Mike, uh, Mike, plug your shit when you call us. Uh, you just started up a podcast. That is the podcast that dreaded sundown, and I'm going to get you all the contact information here uh, while I have uh, while I'm responding to his thing. Um, and he talks about, uh, of course, you guys, and obviously you guys do wonderful work, uh, which I certainly agree with. Um, I want to say thank you, Mike. Sorry. No, no, no. Hey, by all means. Um, he talks about not being overly familiar with Mexi trash. Um, Loaf is the man when it comes to that. I mean, I remember once, Loaf, when we were friends with you, but not as close as now. Rick and I were talking. He's like, man, that guy Loaf, he watches more fucking garbage than anyone. <laughs> <laughs> right when you're in the middle of your Mexican month, man. A lot of people yeah. stiglitz in the mix. And <laughs> <laughs> Wow. The, the 70s, I think, really took off the, with the... Um, he he mentioned the the old school Mexican horror, which it was it's weird. It's kind of like a holdover from the um, the Universal kind of horror. It has a very similar kind of feel. It's a gothic kind of very contrasty horror. But then that kind of moved into the El Santo stuff, and El Santo's earlier films were actually kind of horror based, also like a lot of Dracula and stuff appearances, or uh, even like Martians and stuff like that. But um, by the time the late '60s rolled around and like um, Cardona and his son started in. That's when the real kind of exploitation stuff took off there. Um, I, I'll, I'll plug my blog here, pickleloaf.blogspot.com. You, you can go back uh, to last October where I reviewed a lot of those trashy films, and there's there's a lot to find out there that are, you know, they're not all great, but definitely um, <laughs> definitely less than uh, mora- moral, I guess you could say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did want to say just one more thing. He talks about the uh, punks versus the gay boys and the smegma crew, and <laughs> yes, I would pay good money to see that in the Thunderdome uh, without Mel, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how Tarzan would fare with that group. <laughs> <laughs> Tarzan versus Humongous to the yes. death. Oh, nice. <laughs> humongous nice. with his pulsating neck. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for the thanks for the shout out. I appreciate it.
I, I do want to say the loser of that match would be unmasked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, Brian, I keep jumping in there. No, no worries. I really want to check out Mike's uh, podcast. Yeah, I don't know that it's on iTunes. At least it wasn't with the first episode. I couldn't find it on iTunes. People can find them uh, at sundownpodcast.libsyn, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N.com, uh, or sundownpodcast.com. Uh, I listened to a bit of their first episode. Great opening music. Um, they talk about Charles B. Pierce, uh, of course, exploitation legend uh, in their first episode. And their voicemail line is 850-366-2070. Emails to sundownpodcast at gmail.com. Um, they really know their stuff. I, I will support them to the ends of the earth. Uh, Mike is a great friend of the show, and I'm glad to see he's he's jumping into the podcasting fray uh, to add another quality show to the mix. And uh, with that, I guess we'll get into our next vo- voicemail. Our last voicemail. Yes, last voicemail of the day. Willie, Rupert, and Pickleloaf, uh, and perhaps Sammy, if he's made an impromptu return. Uh, first off, Tell very much for the to the show for for judging the 48. You know it went down really well, and I'll be excited to hear what uh, your individual thoughts on a couple of films whenever Sammy does get back. Um, so wild happy when I heard you're doing Tango and Cash. You know it's uh, I would say it's probably like one of my top three all-time favorites. You know as as far as guilty pleasures go. You know I can watch that over and over again. But and a uh, quick interesting fact about Kurt Russell. Because um, we all know we got to start with Disney. He was the Disney Golden Boy, and uh, when when Arnold Walt popped his clogs and died, on his desk there was just a handwritten note that said Kurt Russell on it, and still to this day no one knows what he had in mind for him. But <clears throat> makes me think that uh, starting out as a child star, and then like 20, 30, 40 years on, you know we're looking at him at being, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the star that he turned into, like with the thing. Uh, and all those tough guy rules. Um, and it makes me wonder when Zach Efron's going to make that uh, that jump. Um, I very much doubt we'll be covering his films uh, in in the future. So anyway, also if you're having withdrawal symptoms from the World Cup, a uh, great little sport um, sporting film, The Damned United. Uh, I caught that today. I thought that was wonderful. You know, British filmmaking at its best. I think Michael Shane. You know, he can uh, turn on the character so well that uh, he probably doesn't even know who he who he is anymore. Um, also on IFC, it's doing the rounds at the moment, uh, a film, a little British film called, uh, Paperhouse. Uh, you know, it's, it's a good, nice little eerie ghost horror story from, uh, back in the days, you know, it's not available in the States on DVD. Uh, so if you've got IFC, check it out. So happy days. Uh, okay. That of course, being good friend, Brian from Northern Ireland, uh, there won't be any impromptu Sammy showings this week. Um, but he will be back next week, of course. Uh, thank you again for considering us, uh, Brian. We had a blast doing the uh, judges, and, and honestly, it was an honor. Like I went around telling my friends, like I'm going to be the judge at a film festival. Like, you know, for me being a, a passionate, passionate film goer, uh, an enthusiast, it it was great for me to to be a judge in something like that. So thank you, and we'll do it as long as you want us to do it, uh, or as long as you're involved with it. Um, and when Sammy gets back, we'll discuss a few of the films we really liked. Uh, that Kurt, not Kurt Russell note thing you mentioned is very interesting. Um, it's one of those kind of Hollywood legends that it's very cool. Uh, hopefully we don't see cover girl Zac Efron uh, rising <laughs> above into genre films because he's not believable. Um, Dan United is one I've wanted to see for a while, and I wanted to ask him if he's seen 
Once in a Lifetime, the documentary about the New York Cosmos. Uh, it's one I've been meaning to see since it came out, and I'm probably going to see in the next few weeks. Um, so let me know if that's any good, Bri. And also, Paper House on IFC, I'm going to track it down. Uh, you know, trust your judgment, so I'll check it out. Is Paper House, yeah. a mate, was that made in the 80s? Yeah, uh, that's what I was going to ask. I think I know, it's like a kind of a... It's it, the ki- there's a kid in the main role. It's kind of a creepy movie, if I remember. I don't think I've seen. I think I've seen that. I think I've seen that. But that's cool that it's playing on IFC. I'm gonna take a look because the name did sound familiar. Um, that's a, I, I like that note about Kurt Russell too. I'd never heard that before. I love. Obviously, I'm a huge, huge Kurt Russell fan, and uh, so that's really neat that uh, that that Disney obviously was too. <laughs> And I've never seen Damn, Damn United. Uh, I, I've heard about it, and I definitely want to. Damn United was really good. I did see it. Um, it's uh, it's it's cool. Like a uh, North Dallas Forty kind of did it too with, uh, with a sports movie that doesn't really show much in the way of an actual game. So it makes it it makes it a, have a more broad appeal. I think like people that aren't really into sports can still get it and it's a real he, the guy i don't remember his name but the guy the movie's about is, is a pretty interesting uh character also he, i mean he's he took some garbage teams and made them very successful yeah and that's the thing i think he was the coach at leeds united for like like 30 days it's some insane like insanely short amount of time uh so i'm really interested to see how that melts down on the big screen yeah but there's another team that he took um the team he went to after leeds um, that I can't remember the name of either, that he took from basically like the, the third tier way up. Like he won he won titles with them. So Was it, was it Queen's Park Rangers or no? I, I think it doesn't matter. I don't remember. But yeah, I haven't seen Paper House either. But, um, and I, nobody mentioned his that Tango and Cash was one of his faves. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> yes. Um. Nottingham Forest. There you go. I knew it had Forest or something like that in the, in the name. Yes. Brian? <laughs> what? Any Anything? Oh, you already said something, didn't <laughs> you? Already, you? I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yes. Spaceman Spiff right now. Um, okay, so let's get over into our pleasantries, as it were. Um, uh, okay, well, firstly, as I said, we're gonna I'm going to be at we, Sammy and I, and if you guys for some reason can make it there, despite geographical... Difficulties can make it. Horror Home Weekend in Cincinnati in November is going to be a blast. A lot of us are going down there. Um, so it should be a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to mention this briefly, and I'll expand on it next week when Sammy gets back. But we've just partnered up with uh, a very good friend uh, of the show, uh, Martin, who's over in the Netherlands. Sorry about the result on Sunday, by the way. Um, and his website is omg-entertainment.com. Uh, he has a store where he sells a lot of the great Raro, Euro crime DVDs, a lot of genre films that would appeal to a lot of our listeners. He has Region 1, 2, 3, he has Blu-rays. He's partnered up with us, um, and we're going to be covering films from time to time uh, that he covers. There's going to be a promo code uh, for our listeners that are going to give them 10% off their orders. He has T-shirts on the site. Um, I know there's a special on uh, the uh, Euro crime discs right now over there. Um, but I'll get into it a lot more next week uh, when Sammy comes back. Um, so, yeah, uh, look for that. Uh, and uh, as well, look for our sister shows, Show Show, OTC, and CD. Uh, Family Movie Night, of course. Movie Meltdown. Chinstruko vs. Punter. All of our friends at Pop Syndicate. Uh, Chico Paleo Cinema. Uh, Cinecultania. Speaking of Ben. Uh, Cinerama. 
uh, Action Attraction, Better in the Dark, V Cinema, Destroy the Brain, Girls on Film Radio, of course, uh, the Gore Press Gorecast, the Glee Cast, which I'm hoping they're going to get into some film talk now, uh, the voice of our show, uh, Big Red Podcast with Alyssa, Derek, and Deeps, and Mike throwing his um, mask into the ring podcast, The Dreaded Sundown. So those are the shows. Uh, of course, check out Paracinema at paracinema.net. Uh, Mike's TV hosting duties at nightmaretheater.blip.tv and horrorcommentary.com for our favorite Windy City native son. Uh, podcasts, uh, no, not podcasts, we already covered those. Blogs, we have piccoloaf.blogspot.com. Uh, we have Rupert Pupkin Speaks, who's just done a bet list as well as a gambling list, correct? Yeah, and I just actually posted uh, my favorite Scatman Crothers films, sort of inspired by the Deadly Eyes viewing. Uh, that was just yesterday. So I had a uh, an explosion of posts in the past week. And I actually saw, there was a lot of films on there. I didn't realize how many good films Scatman had done. There's a lot of good stuff in there. He's in so many great movies. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, of course, Rach on Film. Uh, before, actually, I'm being rude here. Uh, Loaf, is there anything you have uh, going on in the blog right now that you want to touch on? No, I, I, I started a, what I mentioned last week, the countdown exploitation. I finally put my $5 for an August Moon uh, review up, so I've still got to work on that. But no, it's just just generic stuff, nothing special. Okay. Uh, furthermore, we have Lightning Bugs Lair. We have Naked Eskimo. We have This Is Quiet Cool, Hans's blog. Um there is Uncool Cat, a good friend of the show, Chris, from Toronto. Uh, Big Suck Loser, Death Rattle 13. Uh, new friend of the show, Dennis, with Sir Giulioni and the Infield Fly Rule, which truly is one of the best film-related uh, blogs on the internet. Uh, without a doubt. And Funky 16... Funky 16 Corners, that's funky16corners.lunarpages.net for my favorite music blog... Uh, on the internet. Uh, Cinema Day Bazaar, they are coming back soon. I keep saying it, it is coming. Uh, vote for us on Podcast Alley. We're taking a beating there this month. Uh, iTunes reviews are always welcome. Friend us all on Facebook. Join the Facebook group. Uh, we're getting a lot more pictures, and thankfully these guys, the group's being more active, which I just love. Um, Twitter, you can follow them, twitter.com backslash ggtmc, twitter.com backslash piccoloaf. 10, that's the number 10. We won't talk about the rat fink who stole the name anymore. <laughs> and of course, uh, twitter.com backslash, uh, is it Big Bob Freelander? It's just Bob Freelander. Oh, fuck, I always say that. Sorry, man. No, I know. It's all right. Uh, we have a donate button on our website <laughs> if you wish to throw a few chingleros or pence in the ring <laughs> uh, or in our coffers. Uh, email to midnitecinema at gmail.com. Voicemail to 206-666-5207. Uh, I'm going to talk about what we're covering next week. Sammy will be back next week. Um, his pick is going to be the Akira Kurosawa film Throne of Blood. Ooh. And uh, my pick is going to be the Johnny Toe Kurosawa tribute um, Throwdown with Louis Koo. So cool. should be a very interesting week. Now, in terms of Piccolo and Brian uh, Roop, we are still going to try to work out the logistics with all of our schedules so we can keep these guys on the show as regularly as possible because, you know, it's been such a blast this past month uh, doing the show with you guys. And and like I said to you guys off the air, and like I said when you guys first jumped in, uh, there was a reason, you know, I wanted you guys to be on the show. It's because I consider you guys truly to be dear friends above and beyond this. I mean, you know that I speak to both of you 
on the phone outside of the show because I just can see you guys to be dear friends and uh, I want to keep you guys on the show as much as all of our schedules will permit. So thank you again for, for everything you guys have done uh, to help out in this time and we want to keep this as regular as we can, of course. My pleasure. It's been great. I've had such a good time doing it, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, coming in, I felt it was kind of in a rush and, you know, had some uh, big shoes to fill. So for hope, sure, hopefully uh, we've at least uh, made a side pair of shoes for everybody. <laughs> who to the and I, I, I appreciate the, the opportunity. So, right. Yeah, me too, man. Oh no, it's 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 our pleasure. But we're gonna get you guys on definitely, you know, within the next few weeks. We just like I said, we gotta figure out everything out, and uh, we'll get you guys uh, back in the mix here very soon. So uh, until next time, uh, I will say adios. 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 There's that delay between adioses again. Adios. <laughs> adios. <laughs> Rolling out from under every-
every cloud that's flashing in the sky Like a true defender, I will not surrender Why should I lie down for them and die? I am equal to the task, I won't hide behind the mask What you see is what you'll get from me I'm stronger than they think They can force me to the brink again But now I know I'll win 